Hello and welcome to the Modern Reformer podcast. The mission of the Modern Reformer is the edification of the saints through the recovery of the historic faith. I'm your host, Mitchell Roten, joined by my co-host, Brubby. <laughs> yeah, Avery Roten. I was told I couldn't say ahoy anymore. It came from higher than me. So, hello. It's <laughs> top down. Hello. We do have a couple guests. Thank, thank you for that, man. We have uh, found a couple more guys on the street, and they were <laughs> willing to come in. They were running through Manville here. Right <laughs> Out running early this morning, we said, hey. You see, you ever read? A, you ever heard of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience? They said, mm. They said no. We said, oh, that's okay. Come we're on. We're free not to have heard of it, they said. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no. We're very pleased to have with us Cooper Johnson and Eli Murdoch. Ahoy. <laughs> Hola. Hola. Sorry. Man. Stole it from me. Knife right in the back. <laughs> that's, that's actually, you should take that as high praise. That was nice. Yeah. That was a better hoy. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I'm honored to be here. It was, yeah, <laughs> this is an honor. It, that, was, that was crazy hearing that introduction because I'm so used to hearing all of that at two times speed mm. and I've never heard it in person and I'm not going to lie. I thought that that was like a pre-recorded intro that you just did, yeah, and weird. I looked over and saw you reading that, and I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt like I was listening to the podcast at home for nah, a little we're, bit. We're super basic at the modern. It home. may seem like skill, but it's actually like thereof. I guarantee you, <laughs> it only masquerade it's because I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how to do a pre-recorded. You've got the timing now. <laughs> it was trial and error, my friend, oh, for sure. That's great. Now, who wants to go first and introduce yourself? Go ahead there, Cooper. Me. Well, as we've mentioned, my name is Cooper Johnson. 20 years old, born in the year. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Rock on. Yeah, I go to ETSU. Mm. Um, 20 years old, I already said that. Pursuing a degree in finance and afterwards looking towards uh, getting my MDiv somewhere and pursuing pastoral ministry. Amen. Something of that nature. Um, but I grew up. Uh, in a church-going family, um, Christian family. Uh, when I look back, I'm not positive of you know, when I was re- converted, when I was regenerate. But I think around, but I think around like 16, I was probably for sure that okay, I'm saved. I'm in. I'm in Christ. And then around uh, senior year of my of high school, I started to mature a lot, uh, fall in love with God's Word and fellowship. And just pursuing uh, truth and what that looked like. Uh, started to listen to a lot of, you know, Paul Washer, John MacArthur, the, the Reformed guys in that camp. And just really grow a lot. I think I just grew a lot through YouTube University, to be honest with you. Amen. Um, it's a real thing. Um, then moved to, moved, is, man. moved up to college. I met some great guys, um, along with Eli, who had just been really good uh, for my faith and my spiritual maturity. Um, and so now, still growing, still finding out things that I'm ignorant of, and this podcast has been a great um, indicator of what I don't know. So I've grown a lot um, by God's grace, and that is moi. Now you've made it to the tippy top of the eighty <laughs> list. So what do you th- what do you think about confessionalism? Um, I would hold to the sixteen eighty nine. Confession of faith. I would, yeah. I would say I would agree with that. That's good news. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah, good news. That's pretty crucial <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good confession. Glad to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Appreciate it. Thank, uh, you all. Thank you. I feel your pain though on the whole. Coming to it later, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, regen- I would say I didn't know if I was regenerate till I was at least twenty-one or two. 
Mm. So. Yeah, you were ahead of me when I was 20, I'll tell you then. Mm. I'm into that. Yeah. <laughs> Way ahead. So, <coughs> long and prosperous. Eons, we're talking about two different men. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I agree. For sure. All right, Eli, you go ahead. Yeah, uh, my name is Eli Murdoch. Uh, me and Cooper have <laughs> pretty much identical stories, it seems like. Uh, I'm also, well, I'm about to turn 20 next month on Easter, mm. actually. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. brutal. Um, <laughs> I am a uh, sophomore in college at Carson Newman University, getting my undergrad uh, in biblical and theological studies. Um, thinking about adding a minor and a couple different options, still weighing that out. Um, like Cooper, um, I would say I don't really know that I could pinpoint a date and a time and a place of when I was saved, um, but I could say with confidence that it was you know, around 16 or 17 that I was for sure at, at that point, just in a very immature understanding of those, uh, of those things. Um, and then like Cooper, my, my senior year, uh, we were actually talking about this before we started recording, but I got a hold of a John MacArthur study Bible. Amen. And I, you know, at the time I would look at those notes and I would be like, wow, look at all this commentary. Mm. You know, how could somebody write that much, you know? And so mm. that just, that sparked so much curiosity just with all the references and stuff. And so using that as well as, uh, YouTube University, uh, I would I would study those things and just you know try to satisfy my curiosity. And I, I look back now at you know what I knew two or three years ago, and I'm like astonished at how immature I was. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully I think I can say the same thing you know three or four years from now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't um, ever stop anyway. So, so no, yeah. I, thought, I feel confident you will. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an exciting exciting journey. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm also kind of new to the confessional world of things um i grew up in a, in a christian household a, a good christian household a, um, a southern baptist church um but really you know growing up especially in our area you're not really taught what exactly you believe you know a lot of churches just say we have the, like the baptist faith and message 2000 but you're never really taught that um like what what it says at least and so you know how many southern baptists do you think have actually read the, the baptist faith and message 2000 you know um so that's i think that's the benefit of the confession is you know of confessionalism uh, <laughs> is that uh, although those the scriptures are obviously not inerrant, um, it's it's a good system to to look at what you believe and actually understand that. Like I can look at you and you tell me that, and I know what you believe now. Mm. And so we're not just playing a game, taking forever to figure that out. You know, agreed. Um, and that's also great, I think, with you know your children. Uh, you know, your children should obviously think freely and not just be like little robots in, in a confession. But it is good for them to understand what you believe and why you believe it. Mm-hmm. And I think that these confessions lay that out uh, well. Mm-hmm. So that's... I agree with yeah, that. There you go. That's <laughs> and good. They, and they're specific as well. It's not just some broad well, tent approach. Yeah. 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 That's what I enjoy, you can, I've enjoyed uh, yeah, about Yeah, you can seek your, seek your teeth into it there. It's the opposite <laughs> of modern confessions at the end of the day. Modern confessions try to be ecumenical to some degree. And I mean, what's... Well, they have statements of faith. This was, they don't have confessions. Yeah, this, statements was, of faith. this was the ecumenicism of the day. Which is amazing, you know yep. how divisive this confession is now was not so. I mean, this was like we're doing our best to keep everybody. So what? A hundred churches in London, seven to start with, seven to start with. Yeah. But the final, the final <laughs> product, a hundred churches roughly sign on to this thing. And you could imagine, could you get a hundred churches today to do anything? And if you did get them in to Baptist do something, world, you how, how broad would that confession have to be? Yeah. Right. So yeah. this was the ecumenicism of that day, which is amazing. Now. Yeah, the, so. the thing I most appreciate is just the covenantal side of things with it, because you know the, and there's some good things about the Baptist faith and message. I, I can't just sit here and oh, sure. trash it because mm-hmm. it, it's a unifying document, and mm-hmm. there's there's good 
you know, unity is good. First Corinthians one. Um, but the, the problem is it doesn't really get down into the weeds in those covenant things, which I think are crucial for a systematic theology. And so that's, that's something yeah. I have not understand until understood until recently is yeah. the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant and mm. just the, the, uh, the details mm-hmm. uh, of that. So that's well, something I wish people were taught more. Yeah, up. No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, so you, like Mitch said, you, you've got a different purpose in drafting these things. So the, verses two thousand versus sixteen eighty nine, they're they're not they're not for the same reason, right? Yeah, uh, the two thousand is not going to be like this is our systematic. This is saying this is the broad uniform thing, yeah. like you said. It, it's soteriology, right? And, yeah. and then it's if you if you can't sell on to the the Baptist faith and message two thousand, you're not orthodox. You're not orthodox, like at all. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's. It, it, it's very broad in that way. And this is just, like I said, this is a different purpose, different reason. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it to him. Rock on. Rock on. Christian liberty. <laughs> All right. So chapter ooh, 21. <clears throat> Mercy. That's a lot of episodes. It is. It's a lot of 21 episodes. episodes. Oh, yeah. No, actually, it's more than that. Yeah, There's I think been we're part two. Yeah. There's been a lot of part twos. Yeah. I'm not even sure. Maybe 24. Well, and the first one wasn't even an episode. Yeah, history. Like a, or that's chapter. true. Yeah, it was yeah. a background. Yeah, that's yep. right. Background's important, which is it. yeah, I appreciate it. Impartial reader, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. You're sitting yeah. here with some longtime fans, though. We've you know we appreciate that, man. It it makes me happy, honestly. Yeah. It's, good. <laughs> it's good to meet somebody out there. You just down here grinding. <laughs> you're down here grinding away, thinking, I wonder who listens. To this Does thing. anybody listen to this? Yeah, at least two. Yeah. There yeah. you go. We'll take two. I, I just love working out and hearing Avery Mitchell and Mayors. <laughs> Three hours. <laughs> I, I apologize up front for that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We do our best. So Christian Liberty, man, this is one. Um, you might see the Miley Cyrus side of Christian Liberty. You might say with the only God can judge me, right? Now let me say up front, that's not what we mean. <laughs> oh, say, say that again. Oh, okay. You say the Miley Cyrus definition? Yeah, only oh, God okay. can judge me. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. So, so that is in the in the. Uh, uh, what would you say the mainstream cultural understanding of Christian liberty is hey like only God can judge me uh, I stand before him alone and there's no standard whatsoever it's just between me and him and it's private and, and only he knows and no one can say anything about my behavior right. that's not what we mean right on the other end no there's no okay I just making sure I thought maybe you disagree yeah, no, okay. wait a minute no on the other end obviously is um, why this is necessary to include which would be um, kind of overbearing authoritarian things, legalistic things to some extent. So, a uh, necessary chapter. Um, anybody want to? I, I can. I'd say pivotal. Very. This is where the crux of the Reformation turns is justification in Scripture, obviously, and this chapter, Christian liberty of, and liberty of conscience. Yeah, that's kind of the undersung hero of the Reformation. That, that, that's clear that. They don't have authority that's not delegated to them. Mm-hmm. And because Christ has purchased us, as we'll talk about in point one. So the kernel, the kernel of truth in the Miley Cyrus stuff, which is just a very bare kernel, is that it is accurate that um, even, so I, I'm pretty confessional. Um, however, I, I can't just thrust that upon someone and say, because I said so. Right. Um, the, the idea of uh, my conscience is bound to God alone. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Um, yeah, because Abe comes to you and says, hey, you should do this. That does not mean that you're bound to do it. Agreed. And um, because I come with the 1689, and I say the 1689 says this, you are not bound to do it. Agreed. 
Unless yeah. you unless you understand the, the, right. the biblical. Right, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> that being said, this is a bit of a thorny issue. It, it causes uh, in-depth conversations, hopefully. So, there is this category. And again, this these points I'm going to talk about in the intro aren't really contained in this three-point sections, you might say. But um, the stronger and the weaker brother, I think, are a big one. Uh, my example, which they don't cite, which I found interesting, is the first. They do cite First Corinthians, but just not what I would have went to just off the right. top of my head. The food offered to idols in the two different scenarios. So in one scenario with the food offered to idols, um, it's completely like no question. This is wrong. Like you cannot participate in these ceremonies. You cannot go into the temple of Athena or whoever Aphrodite whatever context you find yourself and participate in these uh, rituals. However, if the meat sold at the meat market completely devoid of any idolatrous context, you can eat it. It's no problem. Why would you not? So that is a great example of Christian liberty. And I think the one Paul uses to highlight this right. idea, then the stronger, the weaker brother, which comes in in the same context. You give so, up, you give up liberty to win brethren. And then the, the, the stronger brother, the stronger yeah. brethren. So the stronger stoops in order to, and the, the point of that is to lift up the weaker, not mm-hmm. that the weaker remember remains weak. It's the strengthening yeah. to say, Hey, this is not idolatry. You eating this meat, you, you're not liberated in that sense. So it's the stooping to, to bring up. That's a good point. Yeah. Of the weaker brother. And that doesn't really come up here. No, uh, I mean, no, they're not, they're not dealing but, with that per se, but yeah, it's definitely applicable. Apple ball. Apple ball. <laughs> yeah. I can't talk. That's a good word. That is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that is a word. But So I think bare bones, what's Christian liberty? It's the freedom you have in Christ to um, yeah. to be set free. Um, How would you the, define conscience? Conscience? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would do it the old school way and say there's two combinations of con <laughs> and science. Um, <laughs> so it's it's internal. With knowledge. Yeah. Somehow it's an internal barometer of, um, I think Romans 2 also talks about kind of the witness of conscience. Mm -hmm. It's the, um, I mean, this is going to get into systematic things, which we've already covered. But I I do believe the Lord gives each man created in the image of God individually a conscience, each person of mankind. And that conscience is, um, in some sense, good. Even even though fallen, and it's got the law of God contained it can't within deteriorate. it. Deteriorate. It can't deteriorate. Yeah, seared. It's seared. Yeah. yeah seared. Mm-hmm. So, um, in some sense, it's the internal witness of of right and wrong, coupled with truth and error, mm. and that every man knows to some extent. Romans one knows God. The problem is conscience has become defiled through the fall, yeah. but um, the remnant remains. You know, similar to the image of God, and it is con- it is conscience. sufficient to condemn you. Sufficient. And it's sufficient when set free in Christ to guide you right. in those things. No surprise. I would go to Luther um, as an example. Um, how ac- historically accurate this quote is, people debate. But at the Diet of Worms, when he says, I cannot go against conscience. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's undebatable. Not right it's not right so, or proper. Yeah. So I think he said something of that akin to that. <laughs> it's not right or safe for me to go against conscience. And I think what he means is, I have a real conviction that you are incorrect on, on your statements here about, you know, everything about everything <laughs> in some sense. And, it, well, you know, it, unless I'm convinced by reason or from the scriptures, you know, it's not safe for me. 
And I think that is a summary of this entire chapter. Like, that, that's, yeah. the, that's the reason why it's so important. That, that's the reason it's so definitional to the Reformation. Yeah, and I could give personal anecdotes. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, uh, so conscious, somebody, I read a quote somewhere that said, the conscious is a thing that stands above man and below God that either uh, confirms or uh, condemns, one of those mm-hmm. two ways. Yeah. Not infallible, I think, is the key. No, it's fallen, so yeah. <clears throat> and it can be seared in greater or, or worse conformity, you know. I think um, the struggle with the Christian conscience is it's still, even though we have a new nature, um, we're a new creature, that uh, the progressive sanctification side of things is truly progressive. I agree with that. So, like, I I look at my conscience five years ago versus now. It's like a completely different existence I have, and hopefully will be so in five years from now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and and it's it's not always... um, just the moral question of like, should I or should I not do this? Insert behavior. It's also doctrinal, you know, like the things that used to, I never thought twice about, say, family worship or triune prayer, yeah. things of that nature, that now I'm like, how, how did I not see these things <laughs> yeah. clearer? Right. Right. That's a good example. Um, it's just an example. And um, yeah, so Christian liberty would tell you liberty. Um, that you have freedom in Christ to, to actually witness between you and God to your own conscience and to your own um, walk with him in some extent, not nullifying actual biblical authority over you or the Bible itself as your standard, but that interplay yeah. to some extent, you know? Well, and it's, it's not a liberty to just do whatever you want. That's like, what like we hear when saying. we say liberty, right? Yeah, like, yeah. that's I think that's a good, you know, common, yeah. not a good common misconception, but good that you said that earlier. Um, and that's I think it's what chapter 3 is obviously for. It, it's mm-hmm. literally, I think, just laying out the end of Romans 5 and the yep. beginning of Romans 6. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the freedom that you have, the grace that you have, and the reconciliation back to God through Christ, mm-hmm. as well as not living in sin because you've died to sin. Yeah. Uh, it's it's those interchanging or uh, coexisting realities that would maybe seemingly contradict, but yet I think it's, you know, like like the conference we were at, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the assurance of, of grace that actually, I think, motivates you to holiness and not oh, yeah. holiness that gets you the grace, you know? Agreed. Right. Yeah. Life. Childlike obedience, it says, or childlike love. Counter, <clears throat> it is counterintuitive thing, like most yeah. things in the Christian faith. I mean, it truly is not what you would think of in your own self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is how this works. Yeah. Um, so, subpoint one is going to be its definition. If you want a rough outline, at least this is mine. So, subpoint one is going to be the definition of what Christian liberty is. Subpoint so two is going to be the bounds of that, what that means, what it looks like, how that functions. And point three is going to be the abuse of it. So what is the abuse of it and why can't you not use it for? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a pretty straightforward system there. Point one, two, and three. And this is pretty much copied from the Savoy. It's verbatim. There's, I think there's one word difference, I think. I don't think it's substantive. Mm. I'd have to go back and look. Well, since you brought it I up. think the Westminster says moral law besides... It does. Uh, um, so they, they say um, the curse of the... Curse of the law. They said the moral law. The curse law. of the moral law where uh, condemning wrath of God, the rigor and curse of the law. Yeah. So that it's doesn't matter. <laughs> there. <laughs> you know, right. I got you. They're pretty much the same. Westminster's point three is much shorter, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, and they've got an added subpoint. We talked about that. It's a very lengthy one. It's a, yeah, so, yeah, yeah we, we'll talk about that. Okay, we'll talk about Yeah, that. we'll get there. Okay, so, you have something? No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was going to kind of ask a question. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ask away. Ask away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, the, the liberty that we have in Christ, in, in the gospel, 
just like the, the first sentence. Do you guys think that that extends to, hey, I want to, and Avery, don't answer this too quick. Let me okay, finish yeah, the, the sentence. No. I want to do the Passover. I want to practice the feast, the Passover. I want mm-hmm. to uh, honor a Seventh-day Sabbath. I want to uh, kill an animal, not to sacrifice it, but to show my children Hey, this is what happened in the Old Testament. Do you think that there's liberty to do those things if you please, but yet Colossians 2 says that you don't have to, or do you think that it's saying you don't do those things? And do, does intention matter? Yeah. So so uh, hmm. liberty of conscience and, and Christian liberty, this is uh, kind of a gateway into a pretty lengthy section of the confession, which is Christian devotion and Christian living. So you go into this and the Sabbath. This really touches a lot of chapters. So what you don't have liberty to do is change the covenant you're in and then go back to the signs of which would be prefiguring to something. That's what all those are. So when it says, when it says this is my body, this is my blood, that doesn't mean my liberty now says, well, I want the sheep in, in the doorpost. Like, I don't want the elements that you hold out. Mm-hmm. That's sin at that point. So you have liberty uh, inside of the economy that you're in, inside of the commands that you're given. You don't have liberty to go outside of those and 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 looking at a seventh day observance or or any sort of mosaic standard of which you say i want to do this now that is exactly what that is you're going outside of the covenant in the operation it's in into sin yeah will be my answer to that yeah and and you know even you know, even if i sat here and said well you could do that and it'd be okay not mm-hmm. sound sinful i still would ask why why because you know i think yeah. hebrews 8 through 11 make it you know, abundantly clear it's a better ministry it's a better covenant like that's right. exactly what it is translated into mm-hmm. so why do those things and well maybe it's it's to help my faith or demonstrate those things but it's right. also, we have those things it's also not only better but it's completely other like well, this the, covenant that it's mm-hmm. talking about is completely right. other and greater and, and the old time. is ready to fade away <laughs> right you know, and the, it, has, it, it has it has yeah. right. yeah. it's 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 vanishing now. it has now yeah, i think that's the end it has of now. chapter <laughs> nine of hebrews maybe well, um, chapter eight. Um, yeah so a great example would be um so you so if i come to you and i say just say that you hold my same sabbatarian view which we'll get into in the next chapter let's say that i said <laughs> i don't want to meet on sunday for the lord's worship i want to meet on a different day I'll say you can't do that. You, then you come to me and you say, "Hey, I want to meet at eleven o'clock instead of nine. Like, okay, that's fine. That's not delegated. Yeah. What if I said I have the liberty to meet whenever I want? I don't think you do. Yeah, I don't think you have that liberty. I think God demands His own <laughs> worship, so He defines these things and how you are to come to Him and what you are to do. But He He gives you liberty in in certain ways inside of those parameters. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to sing this certain song, but you have seen psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So you that, get that's liberty That's a big in difference in, in between, uh, I want to say, Westminster and... Correct. Eventually. So, I, that's not here, but... Yeah, so, yeah. so what you, you have to sing these things, but it, I'm, I'm not going to dictate to you exactly what you have to sing. That's liberty in those yeah. things. Well, yeah. and, and, and a person may think, you know, maybe a, a Messianic rabbi or something like that, that, you know, well, Baptists aren't doing these things just because they're, they're too lazy or they're not knowledgeable on these things. They don't want to do these. And I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth. I'm just saying. It, I think it, it they, would, would they, they would say that. They would say that. So with the Hebrew roots and the Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, my was, response yeah. to that would be, well, we have we have things. We have sacraments, you know. They're just not the Old Covenant. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Christian liberty doesn't mean I get, I get to misuse Scripture and define it any way I want. 
is 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 I am actually what Christian liberty at its base is I am set free to obey what's been laid down, mm-hmm. and I am and I am free to obey that and what it commands and what it is not. Yeah, it's so, not like we just yeah. don't have any regulating principle well, by right. which we can just go act yeah. however and. Right. The Miley Cyrus thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There she is. There she is. She's and I think up. I think that's because even me, like a couple of months ago, when I think of Christian liberty, I think of oh, what can I do? Um, mainly focused on my works inside of being a Christian, but mm. really, what a, what um, affects mm-hmm. my living as a Christian is the works of Christ, and so Christian living. Um, Christian liberty begins with the work of Christ rather than right. the works of, or merits of my mm-hmm. own. Yeah, yeah, so a great example, and we'll we'll move on after this. So so if, so if I come to you and say I I don't want to gather with a local body. I'm gonna say no, you don't have the liberty to do that. You say I want to gather with this one and not that one. Do you have complete liberty to do that? Yeah, yeah. So so there's there's liberty yeah. within the the binding and the the realm right. of our right. regulations. So like if if somebody says you know I want to worship by sacrificing a, a bull and sprinkling the the blood on the mercy mm-hmm. seat. Well, no. No. <laughs> you, you can worship spiritually, not on the mountain, uh-huh. but in spirit and in truth by the right. you know the presenting of your body as a not living, by the types and shadows, yeah. As we are told clearly, you know, in you know Romans twelve and Hebrews, like I think ten or eleven. Yeah. Um, Amen. Yeah, so we live in a time of, I mean, it's you hate to say it, but it's somewhat unique. We live in a time of post-restorationist cults that are massive that we're still dealing with. Especially Seventh-day Adventism. So, so um, post-restitution post, church. Re- restoration. Restoration. Yeah. They're going to say the church left and was gone, and yeah. now they're reestablishing mm-hmm. it. That, so just clarifying so, there. Yeah. So um, in coupled with all of this in the restorationist idea of things is always this restoration of some sort of Old Testament ceremonial obedience. It never fails. It's coupled hand-in-hand. Hand. Mormons are obviously a massive uh, example but even something like that seems vanilla, like the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Their big thing is Saturday, end of week, Sabbath. Um, and they take it directly mosaic, and they, they define it that way. And their argument is um, this has been lost. We restore it. We're the true church. And obviously coupled with that is a lot of other false things. Like, oh, a lot. Um, <laughs> new and incoming prophecy, direct revelation, all that. Yeah. But... It's a big piece. So the connection of old and new is so crucial to guarding oneself from error. It's insane. It's insane how easy it is to slip into that. And like um, no one, to some extent, is completely removed from that temptation because of it's just readily available in our time. Like I say, something from Hebrew roots. Uh, honestly, the Catholic claims are very similar to like the Old Testament gives us this blueprint. We still have priests. We still have sacraments in their sense, <laughs> you know. We have this um, once-for-all atonement, but it's continually applied by the priesthood. So it's like uh, understanding the finality of the ministry of Christ, the transitional period, and then the end over into the new covenant, and what is right and proper worship. Might seem like a dry academic thing. It can easily seem that way, but it's truly not. It's actually, the in our time, maybe the biggest safeguard for semi-solid people, semi-solid people that are like, I get this, but what about these nuanced questions? Mm-hmm. It usually comes down to that, yeah. like the old and new connection. Yeah, so the last thing, like I said before. So, for example, I would never take the 1689 and I'd say, sign off onto this or you're not a Christian or whatever. I wouldn't say you, in, in any quarter of compulsion, like this should be thrust upon anybody. 
Mm-hmm. I would say you, you should willfully submit to this and use this as, as a guide for your systematic understanding. So that would be an example. You have liberty not to do that. Like, it, I'm not saying you have to. And also, I don't want to force that. Like, that's not true liberty there. Or that's not true confessionalism either. But you know what I'm saying. That's, yeah. that's an example. Great question, I think. I'm actually teaching uh, on the cults at Sunday nights. <laughs> Plug. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Like, when you get into the weeds of the claims of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the claims of Mormons, which is the two I've done so far, into Catholicism, which I think is a cult. And this is not what this is claiming. That's, that's what I want you to see. Agreed. It's not what this is claiming, obviously. Yeah. So. But but the Old Testament connection is always central yeah. to yeah, that yeah. perversion. Yeah. And I, I think the, the freedom in Christ can be like horribly abused. I, mm. I mean, I look back oh. to you know middle school, early high school, or even late you know late high school. It's so easy to abuse that when you have such little knowledge of the work of Christ. Agreed. When 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 your version of Christianity is like a Philippians four thirteen, uh, like Jesus loves me and that's really all that matters, and like a like a tolerance acceptance view of things. And mm-hmm. so many so many Baptists would not admit to that. But mm-hmm. when you when you flesh it out, that's what most people believe in the modern evangelical world. And so with that minimum knowledge of Christ and His work and the freedom in Him. It's going to get abused. That's, that's, that's just yeah. how it goes. It's it's a direct correlation, yeah. um, and not to say that you know all knowledge is good because you can have all you know all the knowledge of, of God in the world and and still be a you know yeah. a, a, an idol mm-hmm. you know worshiper. But like, yeah, right. um, you know, look at you know kind of back to what we were saying like five minutes ago in, in the <laughs> in the middle of Acts, mm. how long it took people like Peter to adjust Agreed. from all of these. Uh, regulations in the old testament that they've mm. been that i mean he probably had the pentateuch memorized for sure <laughs> no question and, and now they're switching to this different dynamic mm. how long it took somebody like peter to to get to that and that's peter yeah yeah so he saw it all man and he's in a transition mm. period in my opinion oh sure so. sure but at the same time the transition stuff. is real and oh, it, agreed. it's a agreed. hard transition yeah, agreed. Agreed. like acts early in that and acts they're still meeting in the temple mm-hmm. so it's like why the, the portico yeah so maybe outside, <laughs> but in the vicinity of the temple. And it's like, why would they meet there? Like, where else are they going it, to go? Clear that, it's clear that eventually, yeah. um, not not exclusively under Paul, but eventually they shift to somewhat of a house church, you might say. Model. Well, well when they go out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. um, you can think of the difference between the Jerusalem church, which is the first, you might say, iteration of the New Testament congregation. Yeah. And then going forward, it's like. Good choice of word there. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Very careful there. The Jerusalem church, which is the first iteration of the first congregation, to some extent, moving forward, yeah. it, it would look almost exactly the opposite of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you think of Paul coming to Corinth and calling out men over years, course of years, and then leaving and then riding back to check. Well, you Mars Hill or. Yeah. So, so he didn't say, you know, in Corinthians, he didn't say, did you make sure to get the foundation stone right in the temple? And, and you did. No, none of that. He doesn't even speak to any of those things. He's just like, how's your spiritual life with Christ in some extent? I'd like to see those other letters in the, <coughs> the Corinth that are not yeah. in our canon. That would be cool. Yeah, you probably got two and four, but you at know, least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that Rome could produce something for you. <laughs> yeah. They well, have it. It's apostolic teaching. They won't define it's, it. It's just oral. That's all it is. Yeah. It's just oral. It's just oral. In, in Philippians <laughs> 3, when you know Paul writes, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, mm. circumcised on the eighth day, uh, you know, according to the law, blameless. Think about, like, we take that and we're like, yeah, like, that freedom, you know? But think about what that meant, you know, mm. a, a, a 
a Jewish man, you know, writing that and to the to yeah. the people. I mean, that's that's the same stuff that Jesus got accused of blasphemy for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so Paul is captive at that point. He's not free. He's bound to the rigor and curse of the law. And mm-hmm. when he says that, when he says I'm Hebrew of Hebrews, that doesn't do it for you. Huh. Yeah. He was. What's amazing is he's denouncing all that. No right. Yeah. He yeah. Says it was all lost. For, yeah. for the sake and, of it, and it's it's like to to go to be able to denounce that after his entire life's pursuit, you know, we miss like the massive impact of Paul and what he really means, you know, pretty, pretty wild stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, I guess we have to get into it now. now. Any other introductory comments is the question. Oh, I didn't know we were still in the introduction. Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. These really do go yeah, for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> no, hey, I, I think that's... A, that's pretty much what we do. We always talk about every point and then the introduction, then we go back and talk about it again in the points. <laughs> so that's a, I think uh, point one, bear with us on this one, I would say. I'm going to try to do it justice as far as their quotations. It's hard because they they really go hard on this one. <laughs> so and, and rightfully so. So anyway, paragraph one. The liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin the condemning wrath of God, the severity and curse of the law, and in their being um, delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, um, the fear and sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation, as also in their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind, uh, all which were common also to believers under the law, which they mean under the Old Covenant, for the substance of them. But under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of ceremonial law, to which the Jewish church was subjected, and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace, and in fuller communications of the free spirit of God, than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. Mouthful there. So real quickly, and again, I think we'll we'll probably camp out, say in Hebrews 10, for that last part, um, Romans 8, and then um, they cite a bunch, though. Yep. So so basically what they do here, every point that they say you're free from, like um, under the severity of curse of the law, being delivered from the present evil world, bondage to Satan, dominion of sin, they quote those from Scripture because Scripture verbatim in various places, very, sundry ways, uh, <laughs> says, <laughs> says, hey, um, you're free from all these things. <laughs> so the first point I would make here is like we've already kind of discussed. When I think of Christian liberty, I think... Um, what behavior can I justify in some sense? Right. What is right for me to do and wrong for me to do? What they're actually saying is the first step of this is to understand what you're actually freed from. Mm-hmm. And by implication, you have to understand you were under that first. Um, that you actually, mm-hmm. all these things that Christ has freed you from, whether you perceive them or not, you you were not free from those. <laughs> um, and this is actually what sets the stage for a right understanding of Christian liberty. This idea of obedience motivated by love. Um, you think of Christ forget exactly where, but um, he who is forgiven little loves little, you know, he's forgiven much, loves much. Um, the lady that comes in and does this great thing for Christ and the Pharisee who says, don't you know what kind of lady this is? And then he goes into that semi-parable of, you know, a man had two slaves. One um, didn't think he was really forgiven of much. He's just justified in his own eyes. And the other one, forgiven of much. He knows how much he's forgiven of. Which one of these loves more? And um, I think that's the first step of liberty is like, I understand what Christ has done. 
Yeah. 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 So the first thing I'd bring out in sub point one is Christ hath purchased. Yeah. Okay. So it's not granted. It's not given. It's purchased by Christ. So this is the Mm -hmm. act of, somebody said it. I can't remember who it was, but this is the first action of Christ. And that is the direct result. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the purchase. Um, Cursed is everyone who sang on a tree. Galatians 1.4. Gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father. Uh, An interesting one. Acts 26.18. Again, I won't belabor the context. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and uh, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So that idea, like I said, kind of a quote, basically direct citation at the end of the day. This is what all you're freed from. We could get into that if you want. Um, yeah, so they quote 10 things that you're freed from there. Uh, they're gonna, there's going to be three categories. Let me say it this way. It's going to be what you were saved from, what you're currently saved to, like right? Uh, you're you're saved from the world, the present evil age, right? That's what you're currently Which is saved now? from. Is that now? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, <laughs> it, 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 it kind of switches gears to yeah. you know between the freedom of sin and also the freedom of the bondage of Satan and right. the dominion of this world. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. it goes very descriptive of several examples of freedom in the gospel from yeah. sin, mm. and then more, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, right. Current uh, things, yeah. Mm-hmm. External, so, you know. So you're set. Oh, so you're you're saved from sin, past tense. You've died to it. You're saved from this evil age currently going on, and then it's going to go into its uh, privileges of what it means to actually be in Christ. Yeah. That's going to go through those things: the present evil age, the bondages of Satan and the minion. That's a continual thing: the world of flesh and the devil. That's a continual thing. And the thing, only thing I really want to the hit and make sure we do this justice is when it says uh, the evil of afflictions. Mm-hmm. It does not mean afflictions. It does not mean that you and I are saved in Christ from afflictions. We're not. Uh, we're saved from the evil of that. Right. So you and I, uh, so it talks about the death, whereas the, the victory and the sting is quoting directly from Scripture pretty much. Yeah, yeah it's First Corinthians 15. So we're not yeah. saved from death, ultimately, yet. We're not saved from the affliction of death. We're saved from the sting of it, which means that we're no longer damned but saved, and that death is a graduation into a, into a better state. Yeah. So that's what it means by evil of afflictions, not afflictions itself. And I think also um, the afflictions that a non-regenerate person faces is solely wrath from God upon either the sin of the world or just like right mm-hmm. the effects of sin of the world or specifically for their sin. But I think all afflictions that happen to believers yeah. are from a place of love, mm-hmm. um, from a place of Correction. God working all things for his glory and for those who are in Christ for their good and ultimate salvation and sanctification. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. changing there. Mm-hmm. God is not putting me through this affliction because he hates me or because he has wrath upon me, mm-hmm. but he's doing these things for a purpose. And really, um, right, Second Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, yeah. prepare, this is preparing me for an eternal weight of glory. This is a... Yeah. Like momentary affliction, but yeah, yeah. So whatever affliction you're under is, if you are in Christ, is not a wrathful affliction. It, now it may be chastening and it may be terrible, uh, right? In it, but it, its purpose is for discipline yeah. and for upbuilding. Yeah, yeah. And and in that, you you cry. You know, your grace is sufficient for your, right. your power is perfected in weakness. Yeah. Amen. Romans eight twenty eight is what they quote. Imagine that. Yeah. yeah. So and fifteen. <laughs> don't forget verse fifteen. That, yeah. That yeah. So that so that affliction is a great great point there so 
there's a lot of things in which you and I can understand that as in academically. That doesn't mean we've experienced that. Mm -hmm. There's a difference in knowledge, especially when you go into the Christian walk of academically or, or by knowing something and then experiencing that truth. You can think of Job and his understanding of the sovereignty of God before and after his affliction. But after, he understands that much, much better because he, him, as a human, has now experienced that. And that's what, that's what in some aspects, the affliction is doing in a lot of those ways. <clears throat> I mean, you can think the best way to put this is, is, is the victory of the grave. So you can take the most evil act that's ever occurred, which is Christ's crucifixion. There's bar none. That is the most evil thing that's ever occurred. And that it's, out of that has brought the greatest good that could ever happen to, to sinful humanity. Yeah, that yeah. works for a lot of a lot of things. It does, <laughs> which is it, nice. It, yeah, agreed. It does. So, um, so that's what you're saved from, and what you're so you're saved from the the curse of the law. Oh, I want to talk about the rigor too. Mm-hmm. So, when it says that you're saved from the rigor of the law, you can think you can harken back to nineteen one. Nineteen one says that you're bound not, to. Hang the, on, not, not, chapter nineteen. Chapter nineteen point okay. one. When it says that you're bound to what the complete uh, abiding principle of the law. So you're. you're exact complete obedience to it Mm. so and that's not something you can do so that's the rigor of the law that's to say that you must do this perpetually completely and exhaustively the moral law of god yeah you're set free from that because you can't do it because you're an adam he sets you free from that rigor and now gives you the blessing of obedience of childlike faith yeah, I think of the parallel from uh, Pilgrim's Progress whenever Faithful is recounting uh, to Christian the hill of difficulty. He's going up. He turns around and he sees a man, Moses, chasing after him. Moses catches up and pummels him to the ground. <laughs> and he's like, why have you done this, uh, Moses? And he says, uh, because of the sinful inclination in your heart. Uh, and then he says, you know, begging for mercy. Moses says, there is no mercy found within me. Mm. Continues to pummel him and says, um, I'm, I was going to die, but... This man came and bid Moses to leave. And who was that man? He had scars in his hand. It was Christ. And so yeah. he bids Moses to leave. Not, not that Moses is bad, but Moses representing the judgment of the law. <laughs> right. And so Christ frees us from those things. So It's always nice when you bring up Bunyan. That's a great, that's man, great Bunyan. point. He's a Baptist. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I think he is. Fantastic. Probably the proto-baptist fantastic <laughs> agreed fantastic well, besides the apostles also. fantastic so you might think point one would open up and say you can or cannot go on vacation something like that <laughs> yeah um <laughs> which is where christian liberty conversations go into right. alcohol or pork or whatever these these things turn into yeah i think that that's part of it not the biggest part though the biggest part is what what liberty actually is and what yeah. liberty actually is here is freedom from your um your fallen nature Freedom from your fallen destiny, and then present um, present ability yeah, to, to obey God and glorify Him. Right. Yeah, and the privilege mm-hmm. is free access to God. Yeah, right? that's so it. That's the privileges that you have liberty now. Now, uh, I would love to spend from it. and to something. Right, I like that distinction. Yeah, we're saved from things, but also for things. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're not it. saved by good works, but we're saved for to, good works. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. two good works. Another seemingly uh, contradiction, which is not. That's, that's necessary evidence. That's that's a big one there, yeah. and um, yeah, Ephesians two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to spend the entire time on the ceremonial idea. Oh, we, oh yeah, we okay. already touched on that a little bit, but again, we won't spend the entire time. But the idea of <sighs> trying to be, yeah, trying to be fair to other understandings of covenant theology. 
to some extent. Which ones? Other ones. Oh, different okay. ones. Varied. Like Westminster? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I think Westminster would say... You they, mean like progressive covenantalism or new covenant guys? Or, eh. We don't want to be fair to those guys. No, that, I don't want to be fair to them. That's terrible. No, no, no. Okay. We'll be fair well, to we want to be fair to them. I want to be little. fair to the different administrations of the same covenant of grace. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So... Yeah. That's okay. actually left out in this... Yeah. Th- that's... The Savoy says that. And it's left out in this. But that's not important right now. Yeah. So, <sighs> covenantally, what uh, I think is logically concluded you might say is that we have the same christ and the same retroactive sacrifice that saves people for all time we live on the different side of that some some extent we live after its completion fulfillment therefore we don't have all these things these um what this confession calls ceremonial let me use the exact phraseology here the um The yoke of the That's ceremonial it. law. The yoke of the ceremonial law. So, freedom from that completely. And again, we take that for granted, a hundred percent, because we don't. We didn't grow up seeing, you know, the slit throat of of animals and the application of blood in a ceremonial way. Yeah. Like to be free from that is massive in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the curtain oh, of yeah. the temple being torn in two. Like we also miss the significance of that. Like no more, no more of this yeah. in any aspect. Um, so that, yeah, the entire Jewish yeah. calendar being basically a yoke, I think is kind of offensive to modern restorationist cults <laughs> that, that this is actually not good in an ultimate sense. Not that it was ever bad, morally wrong of God to require it, but that right. it was set up to be a uh, completed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's a great point. So, um, first off, before I go on to that, you got not out of slavish fear is what you're set forward, but a childlike love. We talked about it a little bit other of willing mind. So God doesn't want a non-heartfelt obedience, I guess would be the way. The liberty would say that I do this out of gratitude and love of God. I don't do this out of gain of reward or threat of death, mm. which is important because that's usually what's done nowadays. <laughs> so just just fire insurance, we talked about it before. I don't want to go to hell. I want to do good things. That, that's not Christian liberty. That's not at all what the Spirit sets you apart to. So the ceremonial law, so the greater communication of that, I talked through Acts 2, maybe it was last week, I, I can't remember, but I did not communicate this very well. I, I wish I had just probably just read this. It would have been greater. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so the ceremonial law, so when you and I sin, we don't go and take a sacrifice before an altar. Right? Our sacrifice is in Christ. You, you and I are, are not bound to ceremonial things that would disqualify us from worship. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not bound to those things because th- this is greatly, this is more fuller communicated to us as we, f- we fully understand these things and the tops and the shadows are gone and the substance is there. Now, what I said in Acts 2 was the main difference between the ministration of the Spirit in the old and the new is the perpetual and complete priesthood of every believer. So that ceremonial aspect goes away into that because there's no longer a priesthood that's not substantive in every believer, which does these things for themselves. That's the free access to God. It's not mediated to you from a church. Sorry, Rome. It's not mediated to you from an exclusive priesthood like in the Old Testament to say, I must go to these priests and they will atone. We'll say we have the high priest. It is in the heavens, the veil torn. And then we can have the immediate access to that in the substances of doing those things. Mm. Yeah, that's the free spirit of God mm. under the law. Yeah. So the, the weight of unregenerate people, they don't feel it. Like I, it wasn't in the big scheme of things. I might have been saved for going on a decade, maybe. And you only really understand where you were 
the more you realize where you are now, you know? Yeah. Um, it's completely, you're, you're actually blind. Like you don't understand your condition in any sense of that. And people can tell you all day long, like, listen, you're in bad shape. Not really. I, I feel okay. You need the illumination and of the spirit. You, you need that. Yeah. And I think a big motivator for actual obedience and in some sense, liberty is um, the understanding of where you came from. Mm-hmm. And I do think that like, that's the gratitude yeah. aspect. Like we've said, hopefully we all hope to grow year to year. And um, that that's a big part of it. Like the more in-depth understanding of like, hmm, it's what I was. It's where I came from. Yeah. This is who I would be apart from grace. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah, so the main, so anybody else, feel free to jump in. I don't mean to talk the whole time. Go ahead. Anybody. Point one. Bring it in. I enjoy how it <laughs> talks about uh, the throne of grace. Yeah. Um, and how Christ has offered us full access, fuller communications. Well, that's talking about the full spirit, but mm-hmm. um, oh, a greater cool. boldness of access to the throne of grace. Christ, as our great high priest, right? Hebrews, a lot of that language comes from Hebrews, but. Christ has accomplished that for us, and now we have direct, full access to God. I don't think, and like, like you've already been saying, but that's so much a, a blessing. That's mm. a very large blessing. Oh, yeah. But then the fact that uh, practically we can come boldly and confidently unto the throne of grace, unto God in prayer. I think a lot of, uh, maybe sometimes, um, which really is just disguising pride, uh, people can say, you know, I don't deserve to talk to God. My sin is ever before me, and I don't even deserve to lift my head up to God. Well, no, in, of your, in and of yourself, no, you don't. Right. But mm-hmm. you don't come to the throne of grace by your own merits, but that of Christ. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes for me, um, I, I have boldness and confidence, but it's in a different object than Christ. I'm coming to God unto the throne of grace with my own merit. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think a good, uh, just an accurate view of uh, Christ as our mediator, as our great high priest, he is the reason I have full access. And I think that can um, shift our minds to a worshipful and accurate representation of what Christ is giving us here. But Yeah, and it's, it's also easy to get like a, like if you're, if you're sinning, um, you're kind of in that mood where you're, you are feeling humbled by your sin. That's, that can sometimes keep you from coming to the throne of grace. Mm-hmm. But Although there, you know, there might be some good aspects of you understanding that you're a sinner, like you're saying, that's not good if you're coming to the throne of grace when you're maybe not feeling that particular mood, mm. because in a sense you are bringing your merit to the throne of grace. It's like you've been productive that morning, you've been in scripture, you've been listening to not the modern reformer, you know, whatever. <laughs> so you come to the throne of grace to repent. With, yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you come to the throne of grace with those things and. It's this it, really you should you should come with none of that in mind at all. It's mm-hmm. it's whether you whether you just sinned or whether you're you know you're ha- you're having a pretty fruitful day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the difference between an accurate understanding of what Christianity is and an inaccurate. Right. It, it's mm-hmm. really all about him. I mean, not to be cliche, but truly, I mean, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not about Saturday Sabbath observance or not eating this. Or alcohol or anything else. It's about Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the last quotation, Hebrews ten, nineteen to twenty one. They cite for I think for in one way a summary of all this paragraph, but definitely the ceremonial freedom idea. Um, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Mm. And our bodies washed with pure water. I mean, there it is. That's great. Uh, um, (laughs) That is the fuel, tackling fuel. (laughs) (laughs) That is the fuel for this entire ordeal, is the priesthood. Sorry. Make a water boy reference? That's a water boy, yeah. (laughs) Um, Washed with pure water. Uh, The the symbols (laughs) and the... (laughs) What? Sorry, I'm so sorry. Hold yourself together, man. Oh my god, you can't handle. You a little, just said tackling fuel. You can't. <laughs> you can't handle a water boy. <laughs> that like, could have been easily overlooked. <laughs> like, like the, I, I didn't even catch that till you. Okay. Like that. the Bobby Boucher of old. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, no. but really, this idea of the ceremonial idea, really even of of the veil, the water, like all that, the 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 symbolism and the fulfillment, massive here. And it does find its fulfillment in a simple explanation. Like all those complex rituals mean something, in my opinion, quite simple. Like all that ceremonial cleanness, for example, coupled with uh, atonement, all the way into the Day of Atonement. You have the two animals, the leading one out. That entire mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. which is extreme. I mean, honestly, if anybody's honest, it's super complicated. Yeah. Um, and it finds its fulfillment in a singular thing. Yeah, so so Christ isn't in the top of the of the of the uh, holy of holies. He's in he he's in the real one. one not made without hands is what Hebrews says. So he he's entered into that throne, that actual fulfillment of those things, the requirement of 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 all man. So it's nothing. That's the that's so when they say ceremonial, they mean typological. Yeah. So when you and I say that Christ is our high priest and he's ascended into the holies of holies, we don't mean a structure that was built with man on earth that he's entered into. We mean the truth, reality that that's depicting, the antitype of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the greater communication and the fuller partaking of it. Right. <clears throat> well, I mean, in, in Hebrews, Paul. No, no, I'm just kidding. Probably not. <laughs> I, um, I, think he, Paul. I think it's Paul. I think it's Paul. Yeah. I think it's Paul. Well, never mind then. Paul. <laughs> Anyways, he, Paul, just the writer Paul. here. No. <laughs> Our the, boy. The writer here, it turns that reality of the throne of grace, confidently uh, going to it. To the point of gathering with the assembly to to love one another and to provoke each other uh, to those you know good deeds that are like Ephesians two yeah. pre- prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's with this reality that comes those other things. Mm-hmm. So he didn't just kind of leave it as like you know there you go, but because of this, we what, how did you say it earlier? We we aren't saved in the we past. Saved but, by good. Oh. We aren't saved by good works, but two good works. Two good works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I like that. That's what yeah, I'll say. That's what I do. So the main point, uh, going out of this last subsection here, which is, like you said, pretty much shifts gears, and that touches back to the to the covenant uh, chapter. But the main thing we see is the Old Testament saints did partake of this. So those that are of the elect inside that covenant did see these things, understood that liberty, and it was communicated to them. But not you in see the full... I mean, yeah. you see that. Right. David, if you desired it, I'd give it. Right. In yeah. some sense, you see that. I'll make you a house, but I know you can't dwell in it. Yeah, so the, you, the whole thing. So they understand the ceremonial aspects, and then that liberty is communicated to them, and the gospel is understood by them, but they don't have the fuller revelation, the fuller fulfillment that you and I have. That They yeah. await those things. They are obliged to keep it. Right. Because they entered into it voluntarily in some senses. Well. Right. So that's not and been fulfilled by the one man Christ. But Correct. But they, they see the fulfillment and they latch onto that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you got to understand the reality of, of grasp and not accomplishment fully. I think, I think, though I disagree with the one covenant, different administrations to some extent, I think there's truth in it. 
in that. I, I, I agree with it. If you super qualified, I don't find the language helpful. I'll say it that way. Yeah, it's confusing. Yes. Um, I think I think what's correct about it is the work of the Father, Son, and Spirit has been the same. I yes. Think that we can't get away from salvation that. is by one way and always has in, in redemption. So that's yeah. the that's the main argument for their saying this one covenant. Yeah. So so on that we yeah. agree. Right. Yeah, no so it's, we're out there. We agree. We just don't draw the same implications. Correct. I think you, you do a little bit of misjustice to scripture in a lot of ways there. But anyway, yeah. Rock on. Yeah. Rock on. And it's cool reading, you know, like Matthew, for example, and it talks about, I think, you know, maybe chapter uh, 27. I think, is that the crucifixion when he's crucified and he, you know, says. Some, somewhere um, else in there. Yeah, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then mm. he, you know, it right, right you know, in mm-hmm. that chapter, it, the, the veil is torn. Mm. Right. And I did not grasp the meaning of that. Until probably a couple of years ago, right. when you when you bring in the Old Testament mm-hmm. uh, ceremonial laws yeah. and ears, uh, type shadows, all yeah. that, to what that truly means to have a, a torn veil, right. mm-hmm. and if you want to say Paul <clears throat> lays that out right there, <laughs> we probably, would say Paul. <laughs> maybe his content. I wouldn't say him writing it with his own hand. That's fine. Yeah, but <clears throat> anyways, Luke probably um, he, he lays that reality out, and so w- when you don't grasp the concept of the veil being torn. You've you kind of missed the whole mm-hmm. the whole yeah. point of the of the now freedom that we have in Christ. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So that's a, a lot of super. Again, not to get down this rabbit trail, but that's a supernatural thing. Like mm. that veil was not like a tiny house curtain. Yeah, sucker was massive. <laughs> yeah. uh, is it Josephus Shout that said it. like teams of oxes had to hang that thing? Teams, yeah. teams, <laughs> ripped from top to bottom. <laughs> teams of oxes. It's like oh. You yeah. Know? So, so <laughs> if you don't understand the Old Testament and the law and the prefigure and the shadow, you don't really truly understand the substantive things. Also, not a rug. We're talking about <laughs> woven fabric. You know that who got a bunch through that thing? Dude loves Bobby Boucher. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. This is a, a veil blaster. Yeah, that's here. right. Yeah. Woven <laughs> fabric that was so heavy that men could not lift it to hang it. <laughs> and not one ox, but teams. Teams of oxen. Teams of oxen. Josephus doesn't lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was saying something. But so so if I go so if I come to a new Christian, they say, "What does it mean to be a priest?" I'm gonna say, "Look, let's look at this priesthood prefigured here. You you offer sacrifices. You do these things. What does it mean to be a king? Well, look at what David did. So you don't truly understand the substance of these things until you look at the top and then learn from that illustratively. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that they have no purpose now. Their purpose is the same as it was. Right. And I think that's the continuity we have that they don't have mm-hmm. in some sense. They being anyone else has a different covenant theology. Oh, agreed. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, we they're directly applicable in their equity. Yeah, so you don't, it's not a religious museum and that you just, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, like it's an active thing that you adhere to. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I probably come back to that. And I, I love I love the Romans eight fifteen reference. Like I do too. No been, hang on, hang on. Let's read that. Uh, it's, okay. a, it's a good call. Well, I can tell um, you. I can tell you what it is. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, well, we, yeah. we have not been given a spirit of slavery again leading to fear, but a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. I mean, that is, again, that's another one I didn't grasp until recently. The, the Abba, Father. Again, it, cultural context yeah, you know, we don't. When was the last time you called your father Abba? We don't really. It's a little bit weird now to call your, your biological father. I would say last Abba, Tuesday. But, yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? It's not no. <laughs> Hello, um, Abba. Nine a.m. on coffee house. <laughs> but it's it's a a, per, a personal yeah father like right. um, relationship. 
Agreed. Yeah, those who are far off are brought near. See, the radical nature that is saving grace in, in the gospel. It's, and, just, it, and the, it's unfathomable, think, really. I think that it is. And I think I think they get into it a little bit. They cite uh, Galatians 3, 9, and then 3, 14. Uh, this, not directly, but you think of pa- Paul, who we know Paul wrote Galatians. <laughs> Thank goodness. And... Uh, his contrasting of the covenant on Sinai and the new covenant of um, Sarah and uh, Hagar, mm-hmm. that uh, that allegory is just, it is a real one. Like it's it's a different relation in some, to some extent, a new and better way. And uh, yeah, it's hard to fathom. Yeah, that's <laughs> the reason you have to say that the Old Testament elect or in some aspects members of the new covenant Oh sure, I mean they have to be. Yeah, yeah. Till they come to us, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. That's that's a broader subject, but that yeah. that's one of the differences. I read a quote that's on that topic, and <laughs> yeah. then we can go maybe into the next one. Okay, it says as Abraham trusted in the son of his covenant, he became a child of the son's covenant. <laughs> You're hitting that Renhand book. That's deep stuff. I agree, though. I, I agree with that. That's I think a great way to put it. I think when Christ said, Abraham saw my day, he rejoiced, he was glad. That's how. Mm-hmm. That's oh, how. for sure, yeah. It, no, probably other that. ways, but definitely in the substitution of the ram caught in the thicket. That's it. Like, oh, yeah. there it is. Mm-hmm. You know? Substitution. Yeah. So, substitution. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, real quick, and this this could be a little bit off topic. Hey, I'm topic, not in a hurry, bro. Yeah. I'm really not. I'm free. Have you, have you seen these episodes? <laughs> I have liberty. I'll, I'll, well, nobody's seen them. We've all listened. <laughs> oh, a great point. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for video. Coming thank you, thank you for video coming one day. Uh, <laughs> if anybody knows how to do that, it'd be great. Reach out. Do we, do we still have an email? Does anybody ever email us? And we've not gotten any. But, yeah, we have an email. If somebody would go out there and just email. email us and say, hey. Very hard to remember. It's the Modern Reformer Podcast at gmail.com. Gmail. Gmail. At least it's Gmail, not like yahoo or at hotmail yeah, hot <laughs> hey i have hotmail <laughs> hey watch yourself it hurts all right anyways so so real quick like somebody articulate the usefulness of the old testament for new covenant believers andy stanley <laughs> yeah so so that we don't get to that level. <laughs> yeah so here's yeah. I, I would Go love ahead. to jump i've been thinking about this a lot obviously teaching on the cults you don't want to say hey don't read the old covenant you're going to be in the cult <laughs> like it's just Anyway, so I've I've had to wrestle through this quite a bit, and obviously you have to if you do any type of systematic theology, so it's inescapable. I think the Old Testament is directly applicable in all of its equity. So when Peter in First Peter says we're royal priesthood, holy nation, he uses all that imagery really from Leviticus and then directly from Sinai about sprinkling with blood. Mm-hmm. This idea of um, kind of a direct comparison to you your present relationship to God and then them and their relationship to God and how it's in some sense parallel. It's the same. So um, the struggle is what they articulate here is the ceremonial aspect and its complete fulfillment and doing away with in the sense that Christ says not a dot, not an iota will pass until all is fulfilled. Um, All has been fulfilled in some sense. So the idea of Christian liberty in Christ freedom from obedience to law as slavish that aspect and then the aspect of ceremonial freedom in that um, all those things are types or shadows are done away with but what we do with the type and shadow is take it and cast it on the thing now and understand it even deeper mm. um, yeah. I would argue that the best understanding for um, intercession of Christ 
and atonement made to the Father is not actually in Matthew. It's not actually in the narrative of what happens at the cross yeah. or even in the narrative of um, the subsequent events. Uh, it's there. In Yom Kippur. It's in Yom Kippur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in Leviticus 16. It's in the Day of Atonement. You want to know what Christ does? It's most clearly seen there. Mm -hmm. um, so you could read and know the historical narrative of Jesus died uh, on Passover. He raises three days later. He has 40 days. He ascends. And you know all that. And, and say, as Christians, we believe that. What it means is you, you think of um, the vision of Daniel, the Ancient of Days coming, and the stone cut without hands, and the destruction of that. Keep going. The ascension. Give it to me. Is what's prophesied there. <laughs> the ascension and um, the, the ultimate reigning of Christ, which is clearly seen in that narrative. Don't get me wrong. Acts, Acts 1, the ascension is like, oh, yeah. But the depth of meaning of that cannot be ascertained without the Old, Old Testament and the types and the shadows yeah. and what they're setting up. Yeah. So if you don't know what's being set up, like when you read Acts 1, it's like some angels came and said, he'll be back, <laughs> just like he came. And you're like, oh, cool, I believe that. However, <laughs> what's he doing? You know, why is he setting? Why is he setting? <laughs> That's a great mean? question. Dude. Why is he setting, bro? <laughs> the finish, finish work. Yeah, finish exactly. Work. So the only thing I would add to that, that was very well put, very well put, is so yeah. the, the two testament in the Old Testament are, are type and anti-type relationship. Mm. So you don't understand. What's what, anti-type? Uh, not type, but fulfillment. So it, okay. it's not type. Yeah, the opposite of type. Like anti-lock breaks. They, <laughs> don't lock. they don't lock. So this is not type. This is substance. Yeah. So type, anti-type. That's that's pretty agreed upon language. So you see the mm. illustrative aspects, and also the same moral law that is binding then is binding now. So if you yeah. don't look to the Old Testament, you will not understand the commands of Christ. I'll say it that way. You will not rightly divide and understand the commandments of Christ. When he says that all that I command you, that is the Old Testament moral law and all of its glories. Mm. So that's not like... Uh, now I just have to some have vague nondescript love, and we talked about that last episode, well, two episodes ago now, in the, the law of God. The law of God. Yeah. So inside of that, you find the law, and you also find the illustrative types. So if the New Testament does not come on board, the Old Testament is not fulfilled. Its purpose is not yet complete. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is complete. The law is now unto the gospel because it is reaching to something. It is pointing to a fulfillment, not in itself. So that's the reason Jews now look for something else. They're saying this is not this is not it. What we look for is not something else, but the consummation of what we're in, right? So that's the difference, and that's the that's the the purpose. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to note that it's a a fulfillment of the old covenant, and not like a just a completely different like nothing ever happened to begin right. with. It's not like a fresh start. Mm -hmm. It's it's new and it's dynamic. It's different, right. but it's it's not. Yeah. Just out of nowhere, it's mm -hmm. a fulfillment. Like you said. I, th I think that's what a lot of people really think, and you can see why. Mm -hmm. You can see my my old understanding. I'd say my initial like trying to learn about scripture and grow and things is it really sucked for them. This looks awful, and it ended. <laughs> it terminated. Thank God. And here's Christ. And now I'm a Christian, not a Jew, not connected, not the true Israel. Right. I am a new thing. I want you to go back to talking about Daniel again. <laughs> I love Daniel. Daniel. Daniel's a great book. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, didn't I think, I think um, time frame's big in Daniel. <laughs> no. Anyway. Yeah, you mean when he comes up, you mean, to the ancient of days? Yeah, that divine timeout that's At called. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm derailing. That's on go you. Ahead. That's go on ahead. you. Anyway, yeah. The connection to the Old Testament and the fact that we're not a restorationist cult. Christianity is not a restorationist cult. 
We did not say, completely break from those who came before. They were wrong. Something's corrupt. We're the new and better way. What we say is, they were us. We are them. Yeah, and that's very different. We're not Mormons, right, that say, hey, abandon that. It's all corrupt. Here's a new book. Here's a new prophet. We're, Jesus is not a new prophet. If you believe Moses, you believe me because he wrote of me. In what? In everything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give citation. He doesn't have to. He, everything that Moses penned is about me in essence, in all, fulfillment. All promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. All of them. Every single one. Yeah. That's land, nationhood, yeah. all that stuff is Christ. It's not... So that's so when you equate type with anti-type, so if you look at Israel of the Old Testament, you say, this is Israel. This is God's chosen people. And you equate that to the substance that you have messed up pretty good. Your systematic, it's going to have ripples, as you see in a lot of things. So if you, so if you look at the priesthood and say, this is substantive, like this cannot change, this is fixed, this is God's final uh, bringing forth of this reality of the Levitical priesthood, you're yeah. stuck. You and know it, what I mean? I think the biggest thing that I struggled with trying to trying to be faithful is you have theologizing, okay? You have people trying to come to right conclusions. Then you have direct scriptural oh, yeah. mandate and quotation. Yeah. And it, I think what people really think when they get into these weeds is we just have to take someone's opinion that's smarter than us and we submit to that. Not at all. That's the it, way the New Testament uses it. That's what you're getting at. The New Testament uses it as type and anti-type. That, it, it does. That's, it, that's it exactly does. what it says. So, so it, this is not some sort of man's opinion interjected yes. into trying to think rightly. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. you know. This is a great segue into the second chapter. Agreed. <laughs> Let's segue <laughs> in, baby. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Here, yeah. I will say, though, I, I, and again, this is another recent uh Revelation for me in the last couple of years, but the what do you mean by that? Direct, yeah, <laughs> like a, yeah, like you know, clarify outside Jesus. of <laughs> Jesus' uh, face kidding. on a tortilla. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, the the parallel between the Old and New Testament, like you have John the Baptist coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. Mm. Yeah. You have the Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appear. Mm. Like the, those parallels are just like so cool when you really like look into that, and like I missed that for oh, years. Gosh. I mean it. It Me blows my mind signed. that I went so long and like didn't didn't catch that. I yeah. missed all of it. Yeah. Legit. I read through the New Testament and probably missed seventy five percent of it because I knew nothing about the old. Yeah. So yeah. I was just like, Wow, this mm-hmm. is nice. Well, I'm I mean, I literally have notes from John yeah. chapters one through seven in my truck that I did like five years ago. And there's not a single dot of notes in that about John the Baptist denying that he was Elijah. Like, how do you how do you not read that and be like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, and that's a tough think one. Think about it. Yeah. That's know? a tough one. It's amazing just, what you miss. Yeah. yeah, but you know, the only thing that matters is well, it's like you need to be connected yeah. to a local body. You know, that would almost show you these things. Yeah, uh, YouTube University. Your man, you know YouTube I mean? University has to wane into <laughs> solid church membership, <laughs> which is tough. Because I mean, I am a child of YouTube University as well. By the way, yeah. hardcore. Yeah. 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 Anyway, all right. I guess we got to move on. Yeah. Avery, Avery's giving me the time, the, the watch. Oh, that's go ahead there. You know you're doing good. Okay, paragraph two. These men are important men. They have things to do. I agree. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Parag- <laughs> paragraph two. God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to His word, are not contained in it. So that to believe such doctrines or obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience and the requiring of an implicit faith and absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. Um, is there any scripture warrant for that? Yeah. 
<laughs> so I'll actually start I actually start at the bottom, first Corinthians three five. Um, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Both um, Apollos, you might say, is an associate of an apostle, or at least, at least a pastor of the Corinthian church, at the very least. So what you have here, I think, let, let's entertain the idea that Apollos is a local pastor and that Paul is an apostle. What you have is um, apostolic authority and local church congregational authority, both delegated from God. And, and Paul saying, Paul saying clearly under the inspiration of the Spirit, okay, that both those authorities are put in place for one purpose, and that purpose is not to make cults, <laughs> to make local assemblies that follow them exclusively or that it submit only to their power or that they just take what they say on face value and not examine the Scriptures. The noble Bereans, another example, Paul came and taught apostolic authoritative gospel, and he did not say, you don't need to go examine the Old Testament. Like he said, good job to the noble Bereans. You're actually noble because you examined this to see if it was so. Yes, so, so Paul does Sola Scriptura, right, is what we're really getting at here, is the ultimate authority is the Word of God. They also go 2 Corinthians one twenty four, Not that uh, we lord it over your faith, the we there being apostolic authority, uh, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. This idea of um, and kind of a hierarchical substructure of the church where some men are somehow more authoritative than others completely denies the royal priesthood. That being said, there is authority structure. And again, that isn't really talked about here, but it's important. A caveat, mm. uh, submission to local authority as instituted by God. Obedience to God being submission to who he's called to lead is another conversation. But uh, no dictators, no popes, right? no, um, no ultimate authority found in... Ecclesiastical. Uh, no ultimate authority found in, in bodies or in men. Yeah. So what so what you got here is that's a Corban rule of commandments of men right there. I'm pretty sure they cite that. But uh, so what you have is the Lord is the con- uh, Lord of the conscience. So Paul can bind your conscience where Christ does. That's that's what he's getting at. Is Paul doesn't have ultimate authority, and this is Paul's ideas. He binds it where Christ does. Mm-hmm. I can bind your conscience where Scripture does. I don't have freedom to say because of my authority and my position as the bishop of Rome. Uh, to say you must do these things that are not commanded of you in Scripture. Yeah, which we're bringing up Catholicism a lot, which is important. Because yeah, well, this is direct reaction against it. Yeah, maybe maybe it'd be helpful to sketch a little bit, which is fresh in my mind, teaching on Catholicism <laughs> tomorrow, the theology of Catholicism, which is an absolute mess, by the way, an absolute mess. But the claims are actually straightforward. The claims of, of uh, Rome now and their authority now are simple to understand historically they claim peter's the first pope ergo he's over everyone in the world in the church him peter alone that same authority is an unbroken line up to francis today okay that's what they believe now <laughs> so first off that's a head and a figurehead a vicar of christ as they say that's ultimate authority um, the church also, which they never really at length define what they mean by church. What they really mean, though, in practice is bishops and ecclesiastical authority bodies, not every member. Okay, They actually make a sharp distinction between body laity in the sense of normal church-going folk and then bishops, those who have been, in their mind, instituted by God. So... Yeah, they, you don't have a priesthood of all believers, though. You, have, you do not. You have you an have ecclesiastical an actual, priesthood. Yes, yeah. you have a priesthood 
uh, not in any sense and, and, of all believers. In that system, God's uh, Christ's grace has mediated you through the church. Yep, all the way. You don't have which, direct access. Which is kind of the the worst case. <laughs> like, that's the worst part of that system, is that grace is mediated through the church mm-hmm. itself, men themselves. Yeah, um, ecclesiastical authority. Yeah, so long story short there, um, they are wrong in in every almost in every claim when it comes to ecclesiastical things um and that's i think that's what's talked to here there's actually a doctrine in catholicism it it, it changes forms and names but what it is is implicit faith it it's my faith as a believer in christ i don't have to know hardly anything i could actually literally know nothing i could go to a latin mass for years and not understand it not know it it's actually only vatican ii that changes from latin to modern english that's 1960 something so still done in latin not native tongue a dead language for for millennia right and that being said as long as i believe that the church has it right they actually stand as a substitute for me in some sense before god that their faith and their right doing of these things counts for me if i just believe them which is like the exact opposite of what we're saying. Yeah. That, now, again, yeah. I know that's a bit of a crash course, but that's the context. Um, that's, this is that's, really yeah. against that. That's right. what you're left with. So this is assuming sola scriptura and what that means. Is mm. It is our sole infallible rule. That's the only thing that can bind consciences, mm. the, the Word of God. So if you're left with some kind of mix between that and ecclesiastical inerrancy, so what Rome claims, what you're left with is sola ecclesia. Because you can't have two ultimate authorities. So it's either what the church says or it's what scripture says. You can't have a mix. That's a, that's a contradiction in terms. Mm. So what they're, In an ultimate authority. In an ultimate authority, since in, in, in epistemology understanding. But when they say implicit faith, they, that's exactly what they mean. Is, is in Because of my position in the church, I cannot tell you to do something because of the authority I have over you. Yeah, so if somebody comes and says, I, why do we worship on Sunday? Why don't we do it on Saturday like the Jewish people did? Yeah. I can't just say, because I said so. Because it's convenient <laughs> for me. Right. right. So we have I don't to do have it. that authority. Right. I do have the authority, in it, in my opinion, it's a correct conclusion to say we do Lord's Day worship because it's, it's commanded the, in the New Testament. We, fo- we follow the, ap- the apostolic model. Yeah. However, that does not mean that I don't have to take their conscience and bring it into subjection to mm-hmm. the Word of God alone. That's yeah. actually what a big part of pastoring is. Right. Oh, it, for sure. It's yeah. not abusing conscience. It's not taking that authority that God gives you and then asserting it over people, right? Yeah, so that's exactly what Paul does. Paul, as an apostle, says, my authority only comes from God. Mm-hmm. I'm a derivative from Him. So Paul can't say, on a Tuesday afternoon, don't buy the canoe. He doesn't <laughs> have the authority to say that. Mm-hmm. He says, this is what's given to me from Christ, and then I'm of my office of apostolic authority, I am bringing forth infallibly the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And that's what's binding, not Paul himself, nor the office of Paul, but what God does through Paul. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's not mm-hmm. communicated to any ecclesiastical body. Scripture stands as his own authority and its own reference. Sorry, I got a little fired up about Catholicism. I did, yeah, me too, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good point. <laughs> good time to read. Colossians, the last last paragraph of Colossians 2, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? 
These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So, and honestly, I think I think this is something you have to be careful about with confessionalism too, because mm. oh, yeah. a confession, I think the, the important dynamic of it is that it's coming out of Scripture. You, you read Scripture and you form the confession from the doctrines of Scripture, the doctrines of Christ. So you don't take a confession and and eisegete scripture into it, you take scripture right. and exegete a confession out of it. Mm. Um, I think that's really important to, to get there. And so that's when it, when it comes to like confessionalism in terms of you know teaching your children, things like that, that's something you have to be careful with. Because again, like I said at the beginning, you don't want like little robots that are like, this is all I know is, you know, 1689, but you want them to understand why that, that might be confession what I want. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, you want them to understand why that confession yeah, that's is a, that's here. A joke. And, yeah, because you know, they're, they're, they're very you know, important and, and useful. Yeah. Um, that's exactly so. why our response to the confession shouldn't be, I have no creed, but Christ. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Well, in a sense, yeah, you're kind of, um, being that's a creed. Right? That's a creed. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. But also acknowledging, um, my pastor and his, wise counsel this confession is not the ultimate authority but it's pointing to and drawing from the ultimate authority. yeah and when you're all on the same wavelength too i mean good grief you go into the average like evangelical church now and you're there's Mm. 200 people in there and 300 Mm. opinions (laughs) and it's it's a specific Mm. some people would argue that the more specific you get the less unifying it is i would argue the opposite right i would say so would the specific specific confession is unifying people in those yeah, you have, you have false unity at that point. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's a great point. So whenever what, what we should not hear when we hear what's being said in point two is there's, there's no derivative authority of Scripture. Right. Which is, which is what Baptists love right. to, to misinterpret right. so, about our understanding of church authority. So, so yeah. sola scriptura does not mean solo scriptura. That, mm, means, uh, right. that means that you take your Bible and you go sit under a tree and that's your ultimate authority. That's not right. it. So a great example is when I tell my child not to jump on the bed, the Bible says do not jump on the bed because I command in a complete, uh, in complete authority of it because it has given me authority over my children, and that is a lawful command for them to listen to. The Bible does not say do not jump on the no, bed. No, no, it does when I say it in that sense. Because of the fifth commandment. Right. So, yeah. for example, when I, say, when I say to my children don't do this thing, and that's a lawful command inside of Scripture, the, the authority is there. What I don't have to say is is say, hey, I violate whatever X, Y, and Z, and then the, it says that. So when you're a pastor, this is the keys of the kingdom, right? This is the binding of the loosing, which is given to the body of Christ and shepherded by elders. So whenever an elder says to you, you're in habitual sin, you're not repentant. You are excommunicated from Christ. That is what Christ says. That is what the Bible says If they if they operate inside the parameters given. So when you have a confession and it operates, it should operate as whatever your confession is. It should operate as an authority, but a lesser derivative authority. That's that's the best way to put it, I think. Yep. I think the best ideal situation is a confession is simply what the Bible says in um, systematic terms. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what we hope we have in the 1689. Yeah, so to use it right. like Eli's point, to use it like that, that is actually against the confession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That is exactly what they're confessing yeah, against. And I might add point one of the confession. Point one of the Holy Scriptures, right? Yeah. They, they make it... End of this. First, first yeah. for a reason. Right. No, yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's definitely the foundation of all things. Yeah. So the commandments of men. Yeah. Um, what are some examples? 
Uh, that, so, yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. Oh, no, okay. Go. Well, okay. Again, this is going to be one of those things where, although most people would not say it, when you flesh it out, they end up actually believing it. So, for example, altar calls. Mm. Good grief. About time if, somebody got to if that. If you... <laughs> there, is, there are certain places that, like, if they find out that your church does not do an altar call, that's like you're not following scripture. Right. Um, they're not, they won't say you have to pray at an altar, but they'll say mm. you have to do it in the church service. No oh, God, that's that's a requirement. Like you, you're supposed to do that, but you or else that you're you have to give people a chance to get saved. <laughs> if they not if they, not explicitly, but it's necessary. Isn't that, oh, there you <laughs> go. Right. I see what you did there. Yeah. So that that's just one of those assumptions. I, right. I think, and, and again, I'm not saying that's everywhere, but there mm-hmm. are places that we don't, they won't say it. But it's it's like you it's have implicit. to do an altar call, yeah. and if you even if you do a you know a some sort of invitation like a response, if it's not in an altar call fashion, it's like that's just wrong. Yeah. I've I've literally heard people associate uh, churches that don't do an old fashioned altar call with just a Calvinist church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like those, t- if there's video right now, you can see the, the the eye roll that I just had. Um, so that that's just an example that comes off off the top of my head. It's just just one of those assumptions for men that we have to do. But yeah. yet, it's like you grow up and it's just so built into you that you're like, wait. I don't. I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So, a commandment of men is anything of which is not contained in the moral law of God, which they command you to do. So, if you're Pentecostal, that means don't cut your hair. That's the command of men. Uh, or if you're, so whatever it is, like don't partake of caffeine or whatever else that 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 the moral law of God would not bind you to. That 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 man and his commandment would want you to. So you can think of the priesthood of Rome or the way in which that you should do X, Y, and Z or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the Corban rule. That's actually given in Matthew when Christ says, "For the sake of men, you keep their commandment, but you nullify Scripture." Uh, that was Moses. They had a, a parent. The Pharisees said they have oral teaching handing down, and he's directly <laughs> contradicting that. He says, "No, no, no." So what was the Corban law? The Corban law. I'd have to go back and look. So the Corban law was um, what you say, you violate the fact that you should store up and give something to your parents to support them. Yeah, I, I was thinking so. And then you say that what's what's for that is Corban, given to God. So they've established this idea. And again, it's uh, not a... Which they have, claim that comes down from Moses. Right? Exactly. You mm-hmm. have to look into it a little bit. It's not exactly super clear in the New Testament as far yeah. But the word Corban, mm-hmm. I think what it was was you have this uh, responsibility to care for your parents in their waning years. Yeah. And you're not doing that. You nullify the clear equity mm-hmm. of the Mosaic understanding of you and your parents. I could be way off here, but I'm pretty sure that's what that, it is. That sounds right. But And basically you give that to the temple. Yeah, so so Christ, that's a great example for you to give. So Christ himself, that's the way he handles Scripture. He says that what you are bound to is not in anything other than the Holy Scripture. Anything of tradition of men that cannot be shown by it. It's not inspired or binding. Hmm. So that's a direct application against Rome and what it says of the oral apostolic teaching. That's a direct, <laughs> that's a direct application. So when they say that and they say, well, I do not find it in Scripture, I say Scripture is wholly sufficient for this task, nor do we need you or any kind of ecclesiastical body because Scripture in and of itself is clear and authoritative. So that's what Christ is saying uh, in essence when he says those things. And that's exactly what's point two saying there. 
So just because anybody says other than Scripture does not mean that you blindly follow that. The only thing in which you blindly follow is Scripture and Scripture alone. No, you don't blindly follow that either. Right. But <laughs> You don't right. blindly follow anything. That's the key. So if it says, <laughs> so, so for example, God doesn't have to justify to Adam why he shouldn't eat the fruit. Agreed. Yeah. So he says, don't eat the fruit. And he says, okay. So that, that's what I mean by blind obedience. You don't have to say, well, reason me through why I can't. He says, because you've commanded it. That's why you can't. Mm. Right. So that, that same way, that's what's binding upon us. Agreed. Anything else point to? Yeah, I think uh, in, in the spirit in the church, uh, John Owen, mm. he, he spends the first part of the book, several, several chapters within this part, talking about the nature of, of divine faith. And he makes the argument that because Scripture is infallible, in a sense, your faith is also infallible because it's faith in an infallible right. uh, object. Uh, so I, I think he, he lays that out really well because although that sounds really strange at first, when you, when you get into the details of that, you see that you're, you don't have a blind faith. Although mm-hmm. faith is divine, it, it's given by God. It's, it's, it's Him that, that brings you to that, that truth and that, that faith. Yeah. You're not, it's not just like a, like you said, sitting under a tree. Yeah. You're just kind of like, boom, you, you, know, you, you have it now. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's Scripture as the means in which that faith is brought to its maturity and its mm-hmm. perfection. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's faith you know, spirit and, you know, scripture, Mm. not scripture alone, not Holy Spirit alone. It's them working together in unison on the same purpose as the father and the son to bring about your faith. Yeah. And I, I think John Owen lays that out really well. And he even, Mm -hmm. he even talks about, you know, um, your, your faith. If you, if you make the argument, you know, this is kind of a presuppositional thing. And I know a big James Watt guy over here. We like the precepts. Yeah. Greg Bonson. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like everybody that's precept. If, if, if you ask somebody, like, what, why are you, why do you have your faith in Christ? It's like, well, because of the, you know, Josephus and Tacitus and all these guys wrote about him. And so it just makes the most sense. It's like, mm-hmm. well, although I agree that's good, I don't want to hear that your faith rests on, <laughs> on the wisdom or the reasoning of man. Yeah. But John Owen makes the argument that those things are merely just assistance or tools in which reassure your divine faith as it is already, which yeah. is great. Like that's you know it's it's the faith and by divine supernatural, uh, Holy Spirit, yeah, working with and and being assured by those things in, in that order. Yeah, it's not the other way around. It's like you just mm-hmm. think that you know you roll the dice and Christianity just turns out to be the most accurate. <laughs> And so now, you know, it's like... I used, they, to, I used to think you know, that. I used to. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of people do. Yeah. It, you know, the old saying, like, well, if I'm wrong, I lived a good life, and I wasn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't miss anything. If you're wrong, you're going to hell. That's not what Paul says. Yeah, Paul, Paul says, argues Paul, very differently. He <laughs> says, I'm the most to be pitied if this isn't true. Yeah. I'm the dumbest man alive. That's what he means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does. It's not the roll of the dots. <laughs> I mean, that's what he says. I mean, it is what he says. 100%. He said, I have poured my life into this thing that is pointless if all this is not true. Mm. Yep, and the, and the First Corinthians two, the, the wisdom of man is, is foolishness, and it's it's be ready to be destroyed. Yes, mm. right. Yeah, so presuppositionalism will use evidence as a necessary um, fulfillment. So uh, so it would use evidence to say, look, this is the worldview, and this validates that. It would not say, this is the evidence, and I construct my worldview from it. Right, it's the other way around. Right, the order is very important. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah, that, that's important. the whole uh, that's the whole system. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. easily so. missed. Yeah. yeah, Cooper. What you got? I feel like we've left you out, man. Yeah. You got to jump in there. Well, I decided I was going to be on this podcast uh, about 12 hours ago. So <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying the articulation. Okay. Of you, so. We're glad to have you. We're glad to have you. I'm yeah. super fired up about it. Yep. 
Okay. Cooper Newell. Cooper Newell. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, we established middle names earlier. <laughs> so glad we did that. Mitchell's is the, Patrick. Oh god. <laughs> What's yours? Logan. SpongeBob. I would have never guessed Logan. <laughs> yeah. I didn't give it to myself. You see, so mm. oh. my middle name, if I was myself, would have been like uh, Aloysius <laughs> or Bonson. <laughs> uh, last thing I. I the, May not be necessary, but the last thing I'd say on point two <laughs> is um, they add necessary. <laughs> they had to destroy liberty of conscience and reason. Now this is important. So, like we've done, made our presuppositional. We've shown our hand. We're all presuppositional. <laughs> uh, so what we mean by presuppositional is uh, what I mean when I use it. Let's say that um, you can speak for everyone. Okay, I'll do my best as the Pope. Um, the use of logic and reason cannot bring you to a scriptural understanding ultimately of almost any doctrine. So um, the Trinity is reasonable. It's logical. It's not a contradiction. It's a mystery, right? Mm -hmm. So we submit to it because of the high standard given to us and the authority that is over and above us. The same thing about human nature, I think. I submit to the fact that um, human beings are totally depraved, um, even though some surely appear better than others. And I can go and maybe reason my way towards others better than, you know, some others. That being said, um, the destruction of reason through blind obedience, I think what they mean is um, you take out of the equation completely the fact that you, as a minister of Christ to some extent, as an evangelist, as a pastor, to whatever extent, you are actually obligated to bring people along in the faith. You're not obligated to hold it above them and say, I know this makes no sense to you. I know that um, you'll never understand it, but you just have to believe it blindly. And I think when you ask most people, and I have over the years, explain to me the Trinity, like, oh, you just have to accept it to be a Christian. Um, and I've, I've, I've literally heard that more than once. Or, so what about Christ's death? Like, how does, how does that work? He's human, he's divine, what's up with that? All these <laughs> mysteries of the faith, right, that actually are central to your walk with God, in my opinion. Like, it's just like, they do a Rome thing. They say, well, that's just what they say, and I've always heard that. My mom told me, I've always grew up this way. And what that is, is an unexamined, unreasonable faith yeah. that they possess. The bylaws say that. Exactly, that's even worse. Or the confession says it, Yeah. right? It's the same problem. So it's like, it's a dangerous um, place to be. It is a dangerous place to be for you. Um, so the answer is seek out wise counsel seek out um, not itching ears (laughs) seek first the kingdom of God yeah yeah these these truths are not you know man-made and I I do think the (laughs) the destruction of reason um, is not what we believe about presuppositionalism it is reasonable no 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 no. reason isn't our ultimate guide or standard but it's not it's not contra reason or contra logic you know the only way to make sense of reasons to a Presuppose the triune God. That's Agreed. What presuppositional right. means exactly. Apart yeah. from that, you have no response of reason. You have no reason to think that anything that you yeah. say or do would be reasonable. Yeah, you you've read Chosen by God, right? R.C. Sproul. Oh yeah. In the first, within oh, the first yeah. couple of chapters, he articulates the difference between mystery and contradiction. Mm-hmm. You, you remember that? Yeah, I and do remember he, that. I've never thought about this before, but like you know, mm-hmm. people would be like, "Well, free will and sovereignty of God," and they contradict each other, but I just accept it. It's like, well, no. 
it's not it's a, a mystery. Contra- yeah. If it's a contradiction, if anything, no, there is no contradiction in scripture. Oh, yeah. But there are mysteries that belong to God. Deuteronomy, oh, yeah. what is that? Twenty one, twenty one, or something like that. Mm-hmm. The, um, the secret things. Yeah. yeah, the secret things belong to Him. And Which so I hate to say it, that's actually the most reasonable conclusion to draw. Yeah. It is. Uh-huh. If God exists, and He is who yeah. He is. And it's right. important yeah. to understand that it's not a contradiction. It's a mystery. There is a difference. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Just, that's just the same as uh, a Trinitarian viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. It's not a contradiction by no means. Like I feel like when we think. Like it's a mystery. Uh, we're thinking it's a blind leap of faith into mm. something we have no idea what we're talking about, or it's yeah. a complete contradiction. Like mm-hmm. we just we just have to accept it. No, it's just an it's just an ontological mystery that we can't understand because yeah. the gap of comprehension is right. so far yeah. from man to God. Yep. God doesn't fit in your twelve brown head, <clears throat> twelve brown brain. He can't do it. You know, he's yep. much bigger than that. Well, and in the in the parable of the soils or the sower, in between the parable and the explanation, you know, Jesus says to to you, it has been given to know the mm-hmm. mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But right. you know, essentially, he's saying not to them. Right. The mysteries of the kingdom of the contradictions of the you know, kingdom of heaven. <laughs> no, it's the, <laughs> no, mysteries. It's the mysteries. So yeah. he speaks mm-hmm. in parables for that purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a mystery beyond that parable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one God in three persons is not a contradiction. One one God in three gods is a contradiction. Right. Yeah. So that that's the, always the argument against it is they just don't grant you the terms and I say well it's biblical terms I can't help it so you know what I mean and you have an analogy for the Trinity no for us? I do not <laughs> I'll refuse to give one I got one <laughs> I think you can give one now, maybe I'm in the majority minority position there but I don't think they're very good or helpful I just don't, I can't think of one that would that would. I, you can think of some that would be God in three persons, but you can't think of one that's God. It, but one each individual yeah. one is is still fully God. I prefer you know? subsistences myself. But <laughs> like you know really, that you know that one Lutheran, that Lutheran YouTube page. Like yes. oh, yeah, <laughs> they have a great Lutheran satire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they have a great video on the Saint Trinity. Patrick. Agreed. Yeah, Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Man, it's hard to move on. Uh, yeah, it's hard to move on. Give me point three, Mitch. Okay, point three. They who, upon uh, pretense, pretense of Christian liberty, do practice any sin, or cherish any sinful lust, as they do thereby pervert the main design of the grace of the gospel to their own destruction, so they wholly destroy the end of Christian liberty, which is that being delivered out of the hands of all our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our lives. Uh, Romans 6 finally got here mm-hmm. yep. the, big, <laughs> the big one Romans 6 they quote 1 to 2 um, should be probably to throw in the end of 5 agreed I'll tell you what I agree with that give me one second pull it up here electronically so the end of 5 let's say 519 for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous now the law came <laughs> The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through life. I'm sorry, through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, now here's six one. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, so there's the, there's the good stuff. Agreed. Yeah, the good news. Agreed. That's what and, yeah. and reconciliation to God through through Christ. Yeah, grace abounds. Yeah, yeah. Great. There it is. First so Adam. First Adam. Sin. Death. Second Adam. Life. Righteousness. Now application. Now here we go. Right. Application. Now we're sure. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Explanation in the ESV. Mm-hmm. Emphatic. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
Mm-hmm. So brilliant. I mean, just again, not to belabor. We've talked about Romans almost every episode. I, I think you should keep reading through seven. Oh, okay, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I like that too. Um, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Yeah. If we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also, uh, also live with him. Um, again, not to belabor this point, but Paul in Romans is the um, master arguer uh, the the master um, presupposer of objection, you might say. Um, so the objection is, if we died in Adam and we live in Christ, that's the end of the statement. So what what do we do? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and he he anticipates. Who cares what you do? You're in. Like you're in. You're good. Antinomianism. He anticipates that, um, well, and then he answers it with a master class of what it is to have a new nature. At the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, it's, he, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> he's he's hitting the the life with Christ and also the, the death with Christ. There's there's a parallel there that they are not separated. It's like in Romans eight, mm. um, suffering with him so that we mm. may be glorified with him. It's not suffering with him and glorified. It's for that because of the suffering with him we are glorified with him. So it's being baptized with Christ into Christ into his death. So the baptism there is spiritual. I would argue. It was kind of a, a Sac- first don't, Peter. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm going to second. Is it second Peter? Sacramental union. Uh, thought he's going. For. It's it's not the the baptism of of the the removal of the flesh, of flesh from, and dirt, but the flesh from dirt from right. the body. Yeah, uh, I, I would kind of go down that route. Um, I probably wouldn't be dogmatic on that, but it's it's still a symbol of of being dead with Christ and raised into new life with Him. It's the the new cre- new creature, uh, like in Colossians. Agreed. Uh, you know, two and three. Um, which so is, it, the outward, inseparable. The outward the symbol, sure, yeah, is it means the same thing, right? So yeah. uh, anyway, that's a sideline issue. Sorry for interrupting you. No, no, I mean that's that a good question to ask. Yeah. I think so it the, should be asked. The baptism idea here in Romans six, I would argue, is baptism by the Spirit. He baptizes. Yeah. I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Spirit. He's the only one that can. Yeah. This idea of um, you've been baptized with him into his death is what we mean as Baptists, as Baptists, when we baptize people, okay? We mean buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life directly from this passage at the end of the day. So the outward symbol we do um, is necessarily contained. However, I think what's talked about here is spiritual Holy Spirit baptism. Mm -hmm. And, of course, tongues are to follow. (laughs) No, just just kidding. (laughs) That's a joke. Sorry. I Good was waiting gosh. on like a, like a butt. It's too, it's too early. Too early. No. The, the, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. I, I agree. It's, and again, that's why I would... I would uh, <laughs> that was a joke. That was a Pentecostal it's joke. It's, it's okay, far, sorry. Man. That was too far. Tongues are not to follow. But yeah, again, that, that's why I would parallel this with, with the verse. I can't, I can't remember. Is it first or second Peter? It's second Peter. It's second Peter. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. That, that type of baptism here, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's so a complete process of... Second, second, second Peter there is... So that's, that's sacramental union of the two things. So it's the baptism outwardly symbolic of a, faith, of a faithful reality of that. Right. So that's what you have. So that's what it means. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, not a license to sin, but right. really a reason not to. Yeah. Agreed. That's mm-hmm. well said, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Mitchell, Mitchell sorry for interrupting you. I am. I, I really am. 
You're good, man. <laughs> feel terrible. You're good, Mitchell. <laughs> Mitchell good, uh, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick. Oh, no. Patrick. Patrick. Oh, no. Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> Logan, what do you have to say? Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay, so point three there is, is going to say that this is the exact definition of what it means to be not antinomian. So... <laughs> So if you're antinomian, you hate this. So your your liberty given is for the abandonment of holiness and righteousness, which are not necessary. Can you can you uh, clarify on what antinomian? Antinomian is? Is definition. Yeah. So antinomian in its definition means no law. Anti against no law. nomian law against law. So they're going to say that uh, because you are in Christ, there is no now moral obligation for you to obey God. Uh, that's going to set you completely free from God's moral law, and then any kind of adherence to it is legalism. Uh, that's n- not all what the Scripture teaches, and that's not at all what's being confessed here. They're saying that Christian liberty giving for you in Christ is so that you would be holy, right? Fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of your uh, of our life. So the idea of being in Christ, being set free of of giving liberty in these things, is for that purpose of complete and perpetual obedience to the moral law of God. First Peter three. Three. My bad. It's oh, first, it's first Peter. With no, the, oh, yeah. it is first Peter. Okay. First Peter three. You were correct. Um, yeah. So, which we could we could read that since since somehow baptism gets brought up, it was me. Um, first, <laughs> it was you. Yeah. So first Peter three. We'll start in eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So not as an outward sign, but as an inward reality married to the sign. That's, that's what agreed, that agreed. It's a tough... So that's a sacramental union. That's what I mean. Okay, here. so Matthew 28... Go, you know, make disciples, baptizing them. Yeah. What do you, how, what do you, what's that baptizo right there? <laughs> that is uh, outward. That's the same baptism the apostles do. That's the Acts 2 baptism. That's just baptism. I hate to be this guy. I think it's water baptism. Oh, for sure. I agree. I agree in the, yeah. <laughs> in the na- but it's the nations. I think it's all kinds of people. Take, build the church as I told you to. Great commission. I'm not comfortable saying that I go and baptize people by the Spirit. Me neither. That, that's a, I don't that's know, a no, very you charismatic can't, You can't do that. Yeah, you no, can't no, do that. no, you yeah. can't do that. So that's, that's why I'm water baptism in that passage. So that's the reason, yeah. as a Baptist, Agreed. you ask for profession of faith. You're saying, is this a spiritual reality than which you have accepted? Okay, this is the outward manifestation. This is a sign, a communication of grace to you mm. of, a, of a spiritual reality. And those mm. two things are united in Scripture. They're not separate. Yeah. Although yeah, I agree but, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. I don't yeah, think right. that's our, our doing. No, no, what, you can't do that. What united means is not baptismal regeneration. No. Not ex opero operata. Because not that I do the work yeah. and then the Spirit responds. Yes. To some extent. The exact opposite. But, but yeah. yes. So, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that's I, coming up. That's coming up. Yeah. And I got a question on your antinomian. Yeah, go ahead. Too, if it, Fire away. Anything else on that one? On that. No, we're going to okay. stop on that so, one because we'll go for a long time. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so Psalm 1, you know, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. His yeah. delight is in the law of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Not his law, he meditates day and night. Yeah. So walk, walk me through a, a modern application of that right there. The modern application would be the same application given there. So okay. w- whenever we read law in the New Testament, it means multiple things. 
So whenever we reread law in a lot of ways, it means the Old Testament economy or Old Testament fulfillment of those things. So the law has a priesthood in Hebrews. So he comes not of the law, right, of the priesthood according to the law, but of Mount Kizadek. What that means is the Old Testament economy. What he means there when he says, I delight in your law, that is the moral commands of God. Okay. So we still delight in those things. We're not talking the Torah here. No, no. Okay. So we, he doesn't mean I delight in your complete and perpetual uh, priesthood for out all eternity. He means that. <laughs> <laughs> so what he means. He actually, some translations add precepts. Right. Um, so. On, on their on your precepts, I meditate day and night. I want to mm-hmm. say, yeah. So, so I mean, other psalms say that too. I mean, right. Psalm one is just well, in my yeah. head. But, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it's a great thing to meditate upon the law and understand that you've been saved to the command of it, right? And that's exactly what's going on in Psalm one. So David delights in the to do the things of God. So there's no antinomian as in like Christ has set me free to disobey Him. Christ has set me free to obey Him in the things in which He sets down. The commands of Christ are the same Old Testament commands of the moral law. Right? That, that's what we were trying to get at in chapter 19. The same thing that's commanded in the Old Testament is, is exactly what Christ is telling you to do in the sense of the moral command of it. Yeah. And that's what you're set free to. So I think practically yeah. it would look like um, reading through the Old Testament. From knowing so, the Ten Commandments. So, well, even, <laughs> even say from Exodus 20 to 30-ish with the application into that society in that time. Mm-hmm. And then taking the equity of that. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. like, when I read the laws about slaves, like, I, I'm ne- I don't have slaves. I don't want slaves. I'm never going to have slaves. You heard it here first. <laughs> However, the the application of that, both from y- you take the equity of, like, I find myself in a similar situation with my employer, for example. I'm a, I'm a slave to them in some extent. It's a voluntary thing. But how should I act towards them? And you see the New Testament equity of that in Masters and Slaves in that conversation. Like, you as an employee slash slave should behave in this way with a good conscience towards God, doing all your work towards Him. If you find yourself having authority over others in some sort of business capacity, it also speaks very heavily as to how you should function in that. That's just an example. And I I do think all of Christ for all of life means taking all of that... Is that a sweater vest? (laughs) Taking all of that equity to some extent, and applying it to yourself. Some's easier than others, right? Like the bull of kid in its mother's milk thing. Don't know. Don't know what to do with that. Don't, mm-hmm. do be, don't be a pagan. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. I can do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's his most broad act. But so, so that's what it means, holiness and righteousness. Not only, so the precepts and law, the reason they're interchanged right there in one is what, what you are not to do and what you are to do. Both of those things are to be meditated on. Uh, so you are to disciple your children. You are not to murder whatever you want to do there hmm. so that's the reason precepts and law are interchangeable there because <clears throat> it's both negative and positive yeah 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down okay good smell what you're stepping in yeah so, so the main point to get out of point three is that uh, so the practice of any sin so you can't say this is sinful i have liberty to do it or cherish any sinful lust so it's like i really i got this pet sin i really like you know whatever x y and z i'm going to use my liberty to to hide that and to fulfill that lust that is that's against Christian liberty. That's that's mm-hmm. a, something wholly other than Christian liberty. And it destroys it, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it destroys it. That's the destruction of Christian liberty. Mm. Yep. Mm. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so Christian liberty. You have the freedom in Christ to build a Christian conscience based on the word of God, right interpretation and dividing of it. 
and then um, not to submit to regulations. What's interesting in Colossians, like you quoted earlier, is that it includes uh, the majority of Catholic sacrament. Like, it's it's funny. Yeah. Like that. It's great <laughs> that you bring that up. So whenever we submit to a Corban rule, to, to a, a commandment of men, we don't have liberty to do that. You, you have liberty to say that Lord, God himself is the Lord of the conscience, and you cannot bind it. You have obligation then to not obey, obey that. And so, for, uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. A question. Yeah. So somebody comes to me and says, I really, I like to drink three beers versus four, or two versus three. Okay. And that, we have that very nuanced conversation mm-hmm. versus someone who says, I think Jesus was a created creature. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you see the difference in how liberty interplays. You drink the two beers and don't be a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 what I'm trying to say is, it's sometimes sometimes what you hear with Christian liberty is, um, like a guy I worked with one time. We drove. We were working a storm and we drove by this very large, charis- very obviously charismatic church. And he said, "Well, at least they believe something, right?" And I said, "No." <laughs> Like, no, I don't think they're better off. Like, they're worse off. No. Um, that really blew his mind. But at the same time, we had just come off a conversation about alcohol. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's like the difference of my response between someone who says um, Jesus is a creature and yeah. someone who says, so what's your opinion on, on how many beers can I so drink? If, so if you right. use that liberty of alcohol consumption, if you use that for drunkenness, or if you use that as a uh, sinful lust of drunkenness. So, for example, you say, oh, the, the Bible gives me freedom to consume a beer, which mm. it, it does. In any reading, any honest reading of Scripture, you have freedom to do that. So if you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do that in the purpose of getting drunk. So, for example, let's say, as I have liberty, I want to abuse that. I, I wish to buy enough alcohol and drink it enough, fastly enough, where I will get intoxicated. <laughs> and let's say that your wife comes in and interrupts you, and then you got to go pick up the kids. That's still sin, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a sinful lust idea. And, and at the end, end, end of the day, that's concupiscence or the, the level of sin at desire. We're not going to get into that. But what you have there at that point is like I, I wish to use these things in which God says I can use and distort them for their ends of their of, of, of wrongful meanings. Mm-hmm. So, for, for example, I use this quite a bit, and this is pretty comical. So, if an old house, like an old lady, an old widow says, you know, I buy heroin to clean my toilets. Okay, you know, probably shouldn't do that. Probably not the wisest thing to do, but, you know, have at it. Yeah, I'm not, I can't bind your conscience for that. Versus, like, I have a heroin addiction, and I buy heroin. So, that's the difference. <laughs> Agreed. The, the, the difference yeah. is the intentions and what you plan to do with that. So, what, I, what I'm trying to highlight is the difference between <laughs> a legitimate conversation about yeah. liberty and uh-huh. wisdom and nuance and all right. that versus straight heresy. So, yeah. so, right. So liberty doesn't mean, you know, he, he's got a good heart. He, he's a super nice guy. Like none of that matters when it comes to heresy. <laughs> so, so we're not, right. you know, we're not nullifying. There is objective standard and truth that cannot be violated. And um, it's, it's actually pretty lengthy doctrinally and morally. You know, that being said, agreed. Uh, I think that's really what people think of. If they ever think of Christian liberty, it's more so like, yeah, long dress, short dress, <laughs> beer, <laughs> sprite. Um, it's, right. it's those questions, which, again, I think this confession does well highlighting. Like those are like the last step 
very sideline issues. You are agreed. Think, That's also wisdom mandated. So not all things are lawful does not mean all things are good. Agreed. So if so, for example, if you've uh, if you're a sprat holic, let's just say that say that you you know you got a problem with sprats. Yeah. Then you probably shouldn't drink sprats. <laughs> what, what about what about coffee? Or if you so if you're addicted to coffee in the sense that you cannot function and you're depilated by it, then yeah, you should probably scale back. Yeah. So in itself, you know what I mean. So, so alcohol is a good one. Alcohol is a great thing. So, so if, if you're if you're prone to drunkenness, or yeah. if that's a sin in which you struggle with, you shouldn't you shouldn't drink. So for me, um, so if so a great example, if you struggle with lust, you shouldn't go to Burning Man and witness. You know what I mean? Because there's going to be a lot of half naked people out there. For example, so you know, I'm just saying, like you get wisdom of that liberty. Yeah, but you are free. Right, so you're free to go to Burning Man and witness, and you're free to yeah. drink a Sprite. But, but it's unwise. But it's unwise, yeah. It's unwise because it leads that, you to some Don't drink right. Sprite. Yeah, so. I'm done. <laughs> don't drink Sprite. So, don't so drink you, Sprite. You mentioned uh, the whole concept of, like, well, at least they believe something. Yeah. And the confession cites Second yeah. Peter 2, uh, 18, but I'll, I'll read 21 and 22. Um, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed onto them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Yeah, fully agree. I agree with that. Yeah, what that's talking about is unregenerate men who know the truth and continually reject Apostasy. it. Yeah. Yeah. Apostasy. Yeah. <clears throat> I agree. I agree with that. That's, that's yeah. exactly That right. is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is a terrifying expectation of judgment. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of the yeah, it would have been better not to have known in the first place than to have known, received this, yeah. and then continue yeah. on. Yeah, the more revelation you have, the more accountable you are. Mm-hmm. Romans 2. Yeah. yeah. Also, not to say you should not, not strive that, for knowledge. Oh, but. for sure. Yeah. I'm just saying, uh, not to say that everybody doesn't have sufficient revelation to condemn them. I'm just saying the greater condemnation is from uh, the Pharisees than the Aborigines tribemen that, you know, never heard. Mm-hmm. The greater condemnation is his. Both are condemned. His his condemnation is greater because of the revelation which he's rejected. <clears throat> a caveat I would add is to be a, a true um, exerciser, you might say, of Christian liberty, you have to be solid in your doctrinal understanding, number one. Number, yeah. number two, like, if you're asking the question of what can I get by with, like, you don't understand this at all. <laughs> you know? Right. Which is the way I used to ask the question. Yeah. Like, what... What can I get by with and not get in trouble? Christian liberty is actually freeing. So the things in which that you would say, oh, this used to be sinful, I must not even do. Now you do it, and like, yeah, I had complete freedom to do that. Whatever yeah. it may be. So with That's me... That's freeing I, in its nature. I haven't given any personal anecdote. Like, I can do that to the glory of God. I'm going to give one personal anecdote. It's a big grade. So I st- straight up struggled hard with alcohol from the time I was probably 16 to the time I was actually 21. And by by the time I was actually legally, time. Legally, <laughs> legally able to buy alcohol, I realized... I was regenerate at some point in there and realized, like, this is not wise. And also, I was a teetotaler at that time. So I thought, this is sinful on the Mm -hmm. face of it. Right. So I didn't drink from the time I was 21 to probably 30. I'm 30 now. So now I drink on occasion. And it's like, huh, this is different than it was for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it can be a worshipful thing to be like, why we live in a country that's so, like, blessed by God that we have, like, 20,000 options of, of... like the the decadence of life of alcohol, it's like wow, what a blessing. <laughs> Versus like let's get let's get 
turnt. You know what I mean? Sloppy. Let's get sloppy drunk. <laughs> Let's get sloppy drunk and drive around. Right? Yeah, I mean, so you see the freeing aspects of that. You're free to enjoy it. Right. You're still not free to abuse it. Right. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing... Uh, that example is a good one because of how readily apparent it is that that can be sin. You know? It's not so apparent that, like, liquid cheese at the buffet can be sin, <laughs> but it can be. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's way more apparent that alcohol can be sin because right. you can see what happens. It's when downwards you, effects. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good one. But, yeah. Yeah, okay. Good with so. Closing remarks. Closing remarks. Don't be a legalist. Point four of the Westminster is going to go on to say that the state, okay. ma- state but, magistrate can, can but, in fact. I, th- I think, I, I, think I really like this point. I got to say, I read it. I like it. You like point um, four? I love point four from the Westminster. Uh, Do you see how that's problematic for them to confess at the time? Uh, yeah. As in, like, they're being persecuted by those people? They're doing persecution, is what you mean, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the state yeah. magistrate says they can they enforce that, like they're under that, I, I, the condemnation of them. I do see the problematic aspect, maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> it's well said. Westminster. No, I agree. Is, gosh, I, it's fantastic. I agree. Okay. I agree. We'll read it. So we said at the opening, there's a point that um, our confession, the 1689, leaves out from the Westminster. Okay. Here it is. The Savoy leaves it out, too. <clears throat> they do. Which is important. interesting there. It's where you've got a uh, government convened to find out state sanction a religion at that point. I I realize that. So that's reason point four has to be in there. Uh, <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? I do. Okay, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so point four from the Westminster, same chapter, same title, and because the powers which God hath ordained and the liberty which Christ hath purchased are not intended by God to destroy, but to mutually. I'm sorry, but mutually to uphold and preserve one another. They who upon pretense of Christian liberty shall oppose any lawful power are the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiastical. Resist the ordinance of God for their publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity, whether concerning faith, worship, or conversation, or to the power of godliness or such erroneous opinions practices as either in the their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ hath established in the church they may lawfully be called to account and proceeded against by the censures of the church and by the power of the civil magistrate <sighs> why do I say I love it <laughs> I love it because I fully agree with that the problem is who gets to decide and so I think they're actually correct in asserting that. As much as I'm a Baptist and I understand the history of the Baptist persecution by Presbyterians and I understand it in the English context, moving over to the continent and the breaking away from Anglicanism, and I get it. However, I think on its face, this is a true statement. That truth, objective truth about Christ and morality can be known and a consensus can be had and rebelling against it should have consequences. That being said, the, the struggle is, the struggle is, who gets to exercise that? Who gets to decide which heretic gets stricter punishment? I mean, it's a it's a can of worms that I think is still wide freaking open to our day. This can of worms is wide open in the in the conversations that men are having today about church and state. About I mean, it's wide open. This is at least a very defined position that says there is an objective standard that's over and above the state and the church. And if it's violated, both the state and the church can act. 
Right. Yeah, so they're saying uh, that the civil magistrate there is forcing everyone to be Presbyterian. Yep. That's exactly what they mean by that point. It is. And that's exactly what they mean by point four. That's the reason Savoy leaves it out. I realize that. They're saying that the civil magistrate has the authority to say, hey, you Baptists have to be Presbyterian. I agree, and that's what they did. That's what I they mean, did. So you with agree it. with them? No. Okay. But that's because who gets to decide? <laughs> like, I agree with it. Like, I would love to say you can't be a pagan in America. I would love to say that. I would say it's against the law for you to be a pagan. Right. So, okay. So, so maybe just less specificism. I don't know. I'm not. The, I don't have the ultimate answer. It's a. It's a tough, tough question. So let's say. Let's so, say, for example, the, the civil magistrate there. So let's say that, for example, that you've got the majority now, and, you, and you're going to force Presbyterians to be Baptist. No, no, I don't think that's right. I don't. Okay. Yeah. But again, that's because. Okay. Let's let's say so you I get. get so, let's say somehow I get to say. So point four. Okay. The way in which that I would agree to that. Okay. Is is a robust understanding of sphere sovereignty and understanding of ecclesiastical authority, which I think they have. The they sense. do. Not them. Not Westminster. I mean, just, Westminster does not. No. Well, West, Westminster comes out of a context, and yeah, it's, correct. It's a so, state. I would not agree with that. Church connection. Uh-huh. Yeah, to some extent, but I, so the the reason I say I like it is because I'm a presuppositionalist, and I'm being consistent. Like, <laughs> I'm being consistent to say what? is there is there a sphere where Christ's rule and reign should not have influence? I agree. So, so what I would say is the civil sphere of what you have to say is say, well, I think that. Um, Murder should be legal, or abortion. So let, let's say it that way, and you have exactly which it is right now, right? For example, so you would yeah. say the civil sphere can never say that. The civil sphere can also never say who should and should not be baptized. That's that's a mixing of the two spheres, in my opinion. I'm I'm all about sphere sovereignty. Sphere sovereignty. Yeah, right. Right. So I'm just saying I agree with you. So we talked about derivative authority earlier. We talked about ecclesiastical authority, the, the binding and the loosing there. The given of persuasion of which the church should do. I'm sure I'm going to take flack from all my Baptist bros. Okay. I'm not saying it doesn't need thought, wisdom, maybe even striking from the confession like they did. Oh, they I'm, have to. I'm just saying in general. They're under they're active in persecution. They at that have point. to. They have to. I don't know that we have to, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, so So the understanding that Westminster brings forth is not one in which that would say. So I would never use a civil magistrate to, I don't think it's, to it's, instruct ecclesiastical authority. Let me try anyone. to save myself. I don't think that I like it verbatim. I think the principle is what the I like. The principle is fine. The principle is fine with a Romans 13 understanding of the magistrate, what it is to do, and the correct understanding of ecclesiastical authority and yeah. the role that it has. Basically what they're saying is we're going to start a state church and you better Yeah, that's, that's I yes. get that. I'm I'm against that. I'm a hundred percent. I'm a bad. Of course, I'm against that. <laughs> However, they got a point. They got a point. They have a point that the they're civil on the, sphere on the right track. Yeah, I think they're on the right track. So they have a point. And that I think the civil what you see in Baptist-dominated America is because we don't have a point four at all. In general, we need a point four. We need it. A we, Christian liberty. No, we just need the the idea, the principle of the interconnection between church and state. They they have that. The, the I mean, it's there, there, right? It's they there. have that. What we'll they're get there. We'll, get there. we'll get there. So what they're acting <laughs> against is is the so the the rejection of fierce sovereignty that is baked into point four by the Westminster. Maybe. No, that's exactly what it is. That's the reason the Savoy men do as well because they can't say that. The, the Savoy men can't go to the church, the state, and say, "Hey, everybody's got to be congregational, man." I agree that that's wrong. And that's under Cromwell, so that's not even functioning at the point. But that's, that's what they want. Anyway, that's not important. I got derailed. You, I, I wasn't going to say anything about it. Sorry. Now you've made me show my hand <laughs> about how much I love church and state connection. 
<laughs> yeah. Sorry. I thought you said you didn't like that. I don't like it, but I do. It's one of those <laughs> weird things. So you like, you don't like, so I don't like state in church. I like state in God. I'll say it that way. Agreed. So, so you understand a robust fear of sovereignty and understanding a robust civil magistrate and what they're responsible to do. Different conversation. That is to in, enact I think both tables the, of law I and think understand those I think things. at the very least they should have put it somewhere else. Okay. Good enough. Let's go with that. They, so so we, we talked about point four in the Westminster. Basically what we they're saying is it. you don't have the liberty to stand against us starting a Presbyterian State Church. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's the practical application. That's I what they're that. saying. Yeah. I get that. It's very clear that's what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. And it's hurtful to me. But <laughs> but I will stick up for my West, Westminsterian bros, and I think they're correct in the principle. In the principle, bro. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Just not in their application. Not in their application, Nothing. or maybe they should change some words. So we talked about point four and the differences there. That's the reason it's not in the Savoy. In the, it's, in not the a, it's not in the Baptist um, yeah. confession, I think, primarily because they're facing that persecution. Yeah, I don't... And they have. That's why they didn't publish so they're, the so they're not going to... They're not in the civil magistrate. They're not going to say the civil magistrate's job is to make everybody Baptist. Right, and I don't think it is. No. So... They have the sword. Right. So you got the keys, the not sword, the and the rod. Yeah. Uh-huh. The rod's the family, the sword's the state, and the rod... Or the... That's Jesus. the sphere of sovereignty. Now, when's copper? Is that 1800? 1700? Yeah, it's 18-something. It's 18-something. I'm thinking that way. Isn't copper's argument that this has always been around? He doesn't say, I invented sphere of sovereignty. Yeah, obviously, that's been yeah. thin. So, I mean... Well, that's, that's convoluted a lot in medieval Europe, of course. And then, oh, yeah. That's kind but of... That's just the assumption that's Let's say Reformation, Reformation forward. Like, this is, copper didn't come along and say, I've got this figured out. Fine. <laughs> right. He uh, said, this is what is generally around. I so, agree. I agree. I think they to say that they don't understand that at all is No, they do, yeah, I agree. Okay, so we talked about point four. We did it. <laughs> we'll get we'll get into it deeper. The magistrate. Civil magistrate. Yeah. Don't hear me saying I want a state church. Not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. I do want a godly state though. I agreed. And how can I have that? Yeah. How can you take where we're at now? Mm-hmm. How can I have a godly state and not say the Bible's the word of God and you're under it? Yeah. Who gets to say that you have to do that? I agree. I agree with that. Wholeheartedly. Christendom right. 2.0. <laughs> I don't know about that. See, that's that's almost not good enough. Yeah, Christendom 1.0 was terrible. Terrible. 2.0 yeah. will be. It was better than some aspects. I don't want to say it's terrible, but it's worse. Well, it's not worse. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> in some aspects, it was better than some. Yeah, in some aspects, it was bad. Fallen some aspects, world, it was great. Fallen world's gonna be fallen. Yeah. We get it. People in the church are also still not infallible. Myself at the top of the list. Maybe, maybe I should say point four is awful. No, you shouldn't. I just think you should say point four is not correct in the way they use it. I would agree with that. Yeah. So you should say point four in a different sphere of sovereignty way is good. <laughs> so not point four. So, <laughs> so point four in its equity, just not in its its practice uh, uh, at, at, the, at the time. Closing, closing. Christian liberty, not just about vacation and alcohol, but more so about what you're saved from. As Cooper said, save two. I think it's. If you only get one thing out of this, that's it. Save from something, save to something. Based. Amen. Amen. Nothing else. Sabbath. The floor is yours. Religious. The Sabbath is coming up. Yeah. You think Mosaic Sabbath? No. Me neither. <laughs> Till next time. <laughs>